This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sacks What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in, everyone. Hope you are staying dry. And that would mean not leaving the house or condo or apartment or abode or your car. Just stay wherever you're at because it is raining. And yesterday at this time, as we welcome in, actually, they welcome me in because Chris Black and Adam Abdallah have been there for an hour. Um, Yesterday around this time, I said, we're just waiting for the Cubs to announce that the game is going to be called off because... But they're going to let their fans go to the ballpark and sit around for a while before they postpone the game. Well, they didn't postpone the game, and it turned into be one weird, weird, silly game that Joe Madden said never should have been played. I thought the 2008 World Series game was the worst weather game I ever participated in. I think it just got passed the past. Um, that's not baseball. I don't know what the uh, intent is. I, I really don't. The elements were horrific to play baseball. It's it's not conducive. Uh, we made, mis- made mistakes on the infield. They made mistakes on the infield, the outfield, based on weather-related issues, not because because these these are really good players. I think even uh, to a certain extent, their wildness towards the end of the game was contributed to the horrible weather. So um, whatever. I mean, I don't, we, we're going to do what we're asked or told to do. But I'm just here to tell you that was the worst elements I've ever participated in a baseball game. In, Ever. Now I don't know if you guys ever play. If you guys played high school baseball at all, or if you played high school T-ball, sports. Fred, okay, because well, yeah, high school sports. I didn't yes. make it out of little league. That was the last cut uh, three times, <laughs> and my my buddies hate when I bring that story up, so I won't mention it. Um, twice actually, senior yeah. year and sophomore year. But anyway, um, all of Chicago, and I know Eric Ostrowski played high school baseball, right, Eric? Right, yeah. I did. I and was, this is the kind of weather you yeah. play in. What you saw yesterday. It was awful. Like yeah. you, I played in many snow games in high school. Right. It's a joke. And that's the kind of weather they played in. But this is Major League Baseball, where you're asking thirty-five to 40,000 people to come on out and see you. Now, I understand that they were in kind of a bind, because the Atlanta Braves don't come back to town. And they kind of figured that, listen, the weather for tomorrow is no better. So we got to try and get one in. And that's why they played yesterday, because now they only have to make up one game. Because I say it again, I'm waiting for the moment that they are going to postpone today's game. But, Fred, there's a window. So right now it's going to rain until it looks like pretty steady rain. There's an 80% chance of rain. I mean, right now it's raining, so (laughs) there's 100. But after this hour, there's an 80% chance of rain until about 2 o'clock. And then the uh, the temperature stays about the same, but the percentage of perce- uh, precipitation drops to 50%. But we start getting that wintry mix. Yeah. So a lovely wintry mix. And then the precipitation percentage stays at about 50% the rest of the day. Yeah. So if they're looking for a window, 
you could delay the game and still try to play. It's just going to be miserable out there. Awful. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a brutal morning now, and anybody that's going to the game would have to drive or walk from the L or wherever they're walking from in this traffic or in this rain and weather. So it's miserable out. But, well, you know, we're here to entertain you, and that's what we'll try and do for the next three hours And while you figure out if you're going to try and make the effort to go uh, or not. i got to ask both of you guys something that I've heard Chris say a couple times. Let's do it. When it comes to um, the Bulls and um, Kawhi Leonard. We'll get to that in a second. But, Adam, you know, you work with a guy a long time. You think you know you think you know the guy. Uh-oh. I work with Chris Black and you mm-hmm. on Sundays. I work with Chris sometimes on Fridays. And this Friday with Sam Smith, listen to what Chris says. Sam, I have this question because uh, I was a skeptic of Fred Hubner before this season. I know a lot of people are Fred still. Hoiberg, you no, Fred Hoiberg, you mean? Fred Hoiberg. Did I say Hubner? Oh, I'm, I'm never a skeptic of Fred Hubner. There you go. Right? So you think you know a guy. Yeah, right? Then all of a sudden you get a guy calling you out on, on, on the station <laughs> saying he's a skeptic of mine for all the, for many, before the season uh, started. That's was was nice. Sam going to agree with me? I, I couldn't <laughs> tell when, which way he was going to go there. Sam said only Murph could be a skeptic of me. <laughs> it, it was funny. And, it, and Sam had all kinds of fun. And what did we bring Sam in with? We were talking about something with. Um, oh, yeah. Um, we were talking about something that didn't make any sense. And it was some I can't remember of, Hubner and Hoiberg. I don't know how many. I remember Friday night. Of, it was some wacky thing about food or something like that. Oh, oh, oh you, you were. Uh, did you know that Fred dresses his bun? I mean, I would hope he dresses his bun all the time. It's cold out now. <laughs> and then puts the hot dog in there? Oh, that's actually not that bad of an idea. Yeah, well, I dress most of it. I, you can see, I'm one of those guys, and you know, send me the email, send me the text, whatever. They, you know, they say, you can't put ketchup on a hot... Listen, I'm eating it. I can put it on yeah, whatever I, I want. I what you do with so your I hot put, dog. I put, I open the bun, I put ketchup on one side, okay. mustard on the other, okay. then I put the hot dog in. See, Then I, if I'm going to have relish, then I put it on top. Oh, see, now you're just doing it wrong. I would say if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, do it all you, the way. Well, you want to put the stuff that's gonna escape because when you eat the hot dog, this for anybody walking by, this is gonna look weird. <laughs> Before you eat the hot dog, where, where are you placing your hands at this moment? You put. You have to have one hand. On. Do you always cup the bun like that? You have I think to put does. Hand, one what? hand under Who the bun. Who eats a hot dog with their hand one in reverse? Hand cup? Under one hand under, one hand over. Okay. The problem is when you squeeze to. Delvin's going to look at the videotape <laughs> yeah. from this later and be like, what was Abdallah talking about? When you go about? to put it, a stuff can come a, a out of it on top. The stuff that's on top of the hot dog yeah. will fall. Whether you've got banana pe- or sport peppers or you've got cucumbers or tomatoes, if you're weird. I don't understand why you put tomatoes on a hot dog. But A lot of people do. I know. Yeah. It's a Chicago dog. It I, is, I, right. It's weird. Just ketchup. You've got ketchup on. Why do you need tomato? Why do you need Why do you need? Pre-ketchup when you have ketchup. Well, anyway. so many people say you can't have ketchup. But see, the, the other thing is, when I open True. up a, hot, a Chicago hot dog, I eat the two pieces of tomato. I eat the pickle before <laughs> I eat the hot dog. Because I eat the cucumbers it all before falls I do apart. That. Yeah, but it if you're going to do that, put that stuff on the inside of the bun, then put the hot dog on top of that. So it acts like a like a top Can layer. Can you stop doing that uh, hand motion? No, I mean, there are children walking by. And here's what we need to do. I was just thinking about this. Because it does fall apart sometimes, <laughs> what we should do is, after you do that, you should then dip it in batter and deep fry the whole thing. Oh, probably, yeah. yeah. yeah That'd be good. That. Yeah, and throw it on a stick. Why not? Yeah, throw I'm it on a stick. Make anytime. it a corn dog with a bun and everything else. But anyway... <laughs> We digress just a little bit. Um, so, so, Fred, that's what we were talking about before we talked to Sam Yeah, Smith. before we talked oh, okay. to Sam Smith. So we brought okay. Sam in talking about hot dog about dressing. Hot dogs, yeah. And he said, I'm so happy that I was here to be part of that conversation. Um, but we talked yeah. to Sam Smith about basketball. But I think I've talked to Chris off the air about this. I think he's brought it up on the air. And he brought it up with you earlier. 
And the Bulls, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with John Paxson. This was the most difficult season in my life of Bulls basketball viewing to watch because you don't know, you didn't know what you wanted them to do. Do we want them to win? Do we want them to lose? Do we want the kids to get better? Do we want the kids to not play? Do we, what do we want to do? So now that season's over, we don't have to worry about it. Okay. Season's over. They have the sixth pick. They maybe can move up whatever, um, sixth and 22 or I think it is, right? Yeah. So they have those picks. But I've heard Chris mention a couple times, and he mentioned it when Sam was on with us about Kawhi Leonard. Actually, Sam mentioned Kawhi Leonard. And Chris always met, he keeps mentioning that, you know, Markin is not untouchable. My thing is, if you had, if you had to move Markin in for some reason and you bring in Kawhi Leonard, is, is, don't you have Jimmy Butler and a bunch of garbage like you had before you made the, the, the draft last year with Markinen. Don't you want to have Markinen and then build on him? And then, I mean, this isn't this isn't college one and duns, okay? No, you want to build on a guy. I don't think bringing in Kawhi Leonard if you lose Markinen is going to make the team better. Uh, it, I think it it could because the Bulls have enough money to go out and get some of the role players that Chris and I were talking about last hour uh, and Sam's and we, when we played the Sam Smith right. sound. They have money, so they're in a position where the financial they have the financial flexibility that a lot of teams don't, where they can go out and get a lot of, of role players, and that's something that they have been they've been decent at finding the third and fourth guy on a team. They just haven't been very good at finding the number two guy. They've had Jimmy Butler, who was the number one guy, but then you needed to you need to find like look at all of the teams in the playoffs. Look at the 76ers. I know Joel Embiid isn't playing right now, but they have Embiid and, and Simmons. They have two top fifteen players in the league right now on their team because they tanked and they drafted them. Look at I mean I don't need to even say it. look at the Warriors. The, the Cavs might struggle this year because it's LeBron and a bunch of guys. Yeah. Like they don't have like Kevin and maybe Kevin Love might show up. Like you don't have you need two guys to win a championship. Well, wouldn't going out if in if in fact something happens with Kawhi Leonard and he's out there and you could you could not trick him, but you could figure out a way to get him into Chicago. Wouldn't Kawhi Leonard and Markinen be a great start to a team? I don't team? think you're getting Kawhi without Markinen. Like you're not. There's no way. This, if I'm the Spurs, it it be, the conversation begins and ends with Markinen. Okay. Because what else do the Bulls have? Well, they, they have the two first round draft picks, so you'd have to pair Markinen, the draft picks, maybe Dunn, something. You know, you have to make it worth their while. I, but know, I think I think by doing that, you're now you're in a worse situation than you were when you have Butler and nobody else. Well, if you get uh, if you have Kawhi Leonard here, don't you think that this is a more enticing place for other free agents to want to come and play at? I don't know. Other Mark- good ones, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't know if Markkinen's not a player yet. Where players are, other players in the league, top players in the league, are like, I want to play with that guy. But Kawhi Leonard's a guy that everybody would want to play with and want a chance to win with. Of course, they are. Wouldn't you think though, with the way what he's done this year, that maybe it's not. You know, maybe that's changed a little bit because well, he, you might. You know, everyone you might says be getting a Derrick Rose two point Yeah. Is what you might be getting. You might be getting a guy that doesn't want to play after he's coming off an injury, and the difference is hurt and injured. Who has other people in his ear dictating what he's doing? But this town accepted that more for Derrick Rose because he was a homegrown guy. They would not accept it if it was Kawhi Leonard. He wasn't good. I, I think Kawhi also would not be doing this if he didn't have a contract on the horizon. Like that's what a lot of this has to do with is the fact that he wants a contract extension and a new contract, mm-hmm. and the Spurs want him to play. But he's hurt, quote unquote. So he doesn't want to go out there, get hurt big, like really seriously hurt, and then not be able to go sign that new contract. Like, I wonder if he had new paper, if he would be playing in this round against the Warriors. 
because I think that's what a lot of this has to do with, right or wrong. I think that's what it is. In the marketing question, the reason I bring it up is let's not get it twisted. He averaged 15 points per game. He had 7.5 rebounds per. He shot 36% from three. But Lowry Markkinen's not even going to finish in the top two of rookie of the year voting this year. So it's like, okay, you're saying that he is 100%. You can't move him. He's not Ben Simmons. He's not Donovan Mitchell. He's really good. I'm not trying to. Not, I'm just saying I'm not you can't. To, you've got you've got five players on the team, okay? Yeah, yeah. And you, no, right I now you've got Markin and you got one. If you lose Markin and bring in Kawhi, you still have one guy, and you've got to fill okay. in the other four. But at the end of games, Levine, Fred, how many games did, did Markin take over and win by himself this this season? Not many. Maybe a couple early. Okay, and or and you know midway. Here, here's the other point. He's a guy that needs the ball to be distributed to him. He doesn't take the ball and then do it himself. So I. He's really good. I think the ceiling is high for Markin. He's a player I like. I'm not trying to say that he's bad in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying I'm not sure if he's an untouchable. I'm, right. If guys are out there, if a DeMarcus Cousins is out there and somehow you can swing something to land a player of that caliber, a top 10 player, a Kawhi Leonard, a top mm-hmm. 5 player, then I would say going into the soft season, you have no untouchables. Well, there's. I think that... There's a difference. There's a difference between what we think and what I think the Bulls think. I think the Bulls think he's an untouchable. Sure. So sure when you do. get so when the Spurs call and they go marketing and Pax or Gar, whoever's handling it, hangs up immediately, like that's that's not going to be anything. And back to what you said about Kawhi getting getting his money. If he had a con there's it's not like this is Zach Levine, where there's an issue of is he a max player? Is it there's one amount of money that Kawhi is going to get. It's the most money. Well, like he's the most going, from San Antonio, right? Yeah, but, if he was somewhere else. Yeah, if he goes somewhere else, he can't get as much, but they could do a sign and trade right. if he doesn't want to be there. But the point is that like, there's no question as to the amount of money the Spurs can give him. So I can understand his frustration where he's like, look, if you want me here, pay me and I'll play. Like, I'll play. There's no problem. Okay, but if you're real, I mean, if you guys are San Antonio right now, and it's kind of like what the, uh, the Bears went through two years ago with Kyle Fuller, okay, the, your medical staff says he can play. Mm-hmm. And he decides he doesn't want to. He says he's not ready yet. If you're San Antonio, are you gonna? You've had this guy sit out for so much of the season. Are you then going to say, "Well, we want you to play for us next year. We're going to give him the big money after he completely dissed you all year long by not being able?" You to You don't play. really have a choice. Well, what's stranger is why wasn't he on the bench yesterday? He yeah. wasn't in Oakland. He wasn't at Game One of the series. Think about that. Think Maybe about they decided all the not guys. To fly him. No, I mean, think about no, no, no. He he wasn't there. And it wasn't their choice. So so think about this. Joel Embiid last night, what was he doing? He was leading as the cheerleader on the bench for his sure. teammates, even though he didn't play. Think about all the different times you see star guys. Steph Curry was dancing on the bench. Yeah. You know, he was lighting it up, raising the roof for every three-point shot that Clay Thompson hit. It, it's a bizarre situation, and if he is available, I don't think that the Bulls currently have anything that's untouchable if Kawhi Leonard's out there. I know Jumpman wants him in a different market because San Antonio doesn't do it in the shoe game for everyone. Oof. They want Kawhi in one of the big markets. Right. Another team to consider. Where there's a, where there's a statue of the of Jordan? Of the, of the, I'm, just, of I'm, the just point, I'm just pointing out the shoe company that, that Kawhi works with. Okay, I'm just wondering. The company that made a specific shoe for Kawhi Leonard. It, it's, I'm not saying the Bulls are going to get him. I just don't think that they have anything that is... You know, you look at marketing, and if he was such a game-changing player, this team would not be the sixth worst team in the league. If, if marketing really was the next great coming of a superstar player in this league, 
the Bulls would have been much better than they were because of his play. That that's just the way this league but not works. Many, I mean, out of all the guys who were drafted in the first round, how many guys played better than Markin in this year? I would say Donovan Mitchell, hands down. Right. Kyle Kuzma, right. hands down. I would go with Dennis Smith Jr. at times was on par with marketing. I know marketing's numbers are a little bit better, but yeah. I think I think the Mavs are very happy with their selection. And then Ben Simmons, whether or not you say that this is his rookie year or his second year, he didn't play last yeah, year, so it's his rookie year. Win rookie of the year. And Ben Simmons, hands down, changes the game. So I, yeah, I don't. But what I'm saying is. A lot of times in, in in basketball, it takes players more than one year to figure it out. No, I know. I, I mean, plus sure. a guy like Markinen, who let's be honest, he's been in this country for two years. Yeah, okay? he went to Arizona for one year, and, and now he, you know, and now he's here. If you listen to the, to what John Paxson was saying this week, this week uh, when he did his end of the season right. press conference, his exact words were, "Lowry Markinen is a cornerstone of this franchise. He's sure. not. He's we actually, not. We even have him saying that." Go. He is a cornerstone, and I, I've said this many times uh, this year. And you know, we, we we loved him in the draft, obviously, but we didn't know what we had. And I'm incredibly impressed with the poise that he plays with. He he rarely gets outside of himself. And uh, but but Lowry, like Zach and Chris Dunn, all our guys, he he has so much room to grow, and that, that's really what's exciting about it. You know, when I when I assess Lowry's game. Um, you know, he obviously proved he, he can play on the perimeter with his shooting component. Uh, last summer, he played with his national team. We didn't get him in our building to do much of anything. He needs this summer to, to really work on his body, to get a base to him, uh, get stronger. He needs to, to find areas on the floor inside the three-point line where he can really be effective now see uh, he, he goes on for another you know minute talking packs, about yeah. larry markinen <laughs> but um but yeah i mean i think larry markinen is just going to become a better player as years go by and when you're a team and you're a fan base i know you your ultimate goal is to win i understand that but your ultimate goal is also you draft a guy you develop a guy you'd like to see him progress and add more guys to that I don't think I think a bigger thing this year is is not bringing in Zach not keeping Zach Levine now you have even more money and you've got to try to encourage or you try to you have to try and get one of the and I don't know why I don't quite understand why the top free agents don't come to Chicago if people still tell me it's Ryan Sarver and they don't spend the money they have the money they're offering the money they're spending the money I mean who are they coming here to play with well, but but you look at every team around the NBA. How many teams can you say? Were well, there five teams that are going to get free agents? Nobody else going to go anywhere. Well, they go they go places together. Like when when Miami put together LeBron and Wade and Bosh, it was because LeBron wanted to go to college and hang out with his friends. Yeah. So like that's a different situation than he just didn't want to come to Chicago. Like they put like they get together. Like stars want to play with other stars. Now LeBron is going to be the free agent because we don't know if he's going to stay or go. There's only a few options for him if he's looking to try to win now. Whatever happened to the guys that wanted to be the guy? And well, and the pride. Well, that's that. You can't win that way anymore. Well, it died with Kobe. Yeah, that was it. Okay. And Kobe could never be the guy. He also needed Shaq. And he and uh, Powell to win. So 
He was never the guy. Well, guy so, um, so here's the thing. We, we're talking about free agents. And if you, as a Bulls fan, think a free agent signing in Chicago is what's going to get this team out of the hole they're in, that's not going to happen. Because if you look across the league, and I know, Fred, you mentioned that, okay, there's not that many guys out there to sign. You're totally right. It's The way to do it is you have to get creatively uh into the trade market and you got to find guys who are disgruntled who have high ceilings who you can poach when they are available to then jump start your rebuild but isn't another way of doing or it through the draft uh, right isn't another way right now isn't another way of doing it they have two first round draft picks they have larry Markin and, and sign a free agent you could have three you could have three okay. new players in yeah. your team next year yeah you're the hornets then well, but you de- then you develop. I mean, nobody expects the Bulls yeah, to I be, mean, uh, you know, the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference next year. But we all heard Sam Smith on Friday, John Paxson uh, on what Thursday, Friday, yeah. whenever he spoke. I mean, mm-hmm. it Thursday. sounds as if the organization is not cool with the way things went this year, which I don't understand why. Because the only the only way I could see them understanding it is Pax is such a competitor that he can't stand losing that much. Or, for some reason, they didn't turn a profit having the most attendance in the league. Well, but, but, like, this is where it all comes to. Because I don't think not being competitive for the Eastern Conference title is an option anymore. I think it is now turning completely the other way. And now they are going to do everything in their power to get back to that that landscape as quickly as possible. Not this... It'll take a few years. We'll develop. Yeah, like I get I, what you're saying, Fred, but I don't think that that's what they're seeing. I, I think I think they would be extremely happy if they could win 46 games next year. I agree. Yeah. But is that enough? Well, like, like you because, said, the people are still going to come. Yeah. It doesn't, so so it doesn't that doesn't matter. matter. And then and they probably could have won less games, and they still would have led the league in attendance. Yeah. And there were the people were coming anyway. Real quickly before we go to break, because we rarely get to talk to this guy, uh, so we'll let. Uh, Fred's awake. Yes. Here we go. Here See you right, Fred. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. Here we go. I just had a, how you doing, guys? I love the show, but I just have to point out two Sounds like you just arguments. had a grabber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's morning. I need, I need my coffee. Okay. Listen, Mark and Instance, March 2nd, the Bulls won six games. In those six games, Mark and was a plus seven or higher. They won every one of those games because of Larry Markinen, despite limiting his minutes. They limited his minutes all season, and to suggest that, well, the Bulls, they would have been better. Is it marketing? Shouldn't they have been a better team? It's ridiculous. Joel Embiid as a rookie, how many wins did the Sixers have? He play, he, his, limits, his minutes were limited, too. It, to, to suggest that he's not a real player because the Bulls weren't better this year is insane. Fred, who, two, Fred, Fred who said that yeah. he's not a real player? No, no, no. You suggested that, well, if he was all that... He should have been better this year. That's exactly what you said. Okay, so right? Ben Simmons played three, played three more minutes per game than Markkinen. That's the difference? Markkinen, in the last month, if you look at his stats, every game they won, it was because solely of him. And they were yet limited him to you know less than 30 minutes a game. He is 20 years old, and it's clear in the last 60 days he's becoming that difference maker. Number two... Quickly, Fred, we got to go quickly. All right. It's not true that Bulls don't ever get great free agents. Gasol was clearly the second best free agent in that market. He took less money to come to Chicago. So there's only like four cities, if you go back the last 20 years, that have gotten 
free agents. It's Miami, Golden State, New York, a few other cities. You're right, Fred. And see, and see Red Fred, I agree with you. But you know what he said? Boozer. But he said that. And he said the second best free agent. And Boozer yeah, was the yeah. guy they had to settle for. He That's, was the sixth best free agent right, that year. Right. So they need to get the number one guy. And, yes. Uh, you know. Fred's well, awesome. They're not getting LeBron it's, or Durant. So. Right. It's, it's fun to uh, debate basketball with them. It's, it's a good time. We come back. We'll be talking some Cubs. An interesting game yesterday. Sahad of Sharma from The Athletic will join us. It's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. We're here till noon on ESPN 1000. Gasol! This is Chicago's game day. This game will be memorable due to the weather conditions, but the Cubs can make it an all-timer if they can come all the way back. There's a base hit. At least two will score. Sawbrist is being set. We are tied. Oh, baby. Javier Baez makes it 10-10. This miserable day just got fun. Oh, my goodness. Chance to take the lead now. Sam Freeman against Kyle Schwarber. Huge 3-2 coming up. Cubs lead. Cubs lead 11-10. That gets five. And Schwarber caught between home and third. Suzuki will fire to second. He throws it into center. Front of the plate. Not in time. It hits Schwarber. And the calliope crashed to the ground. Insanity. <laughs> it is a yard sale out there. Driven to right. Caught. Sobris. Cubs win. Cubs win. They come all the way back from an eight-run deficit and beat the Braves 14-10. What a ball game. Yeah, just a crazy game. This is Chicago's game day. ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. All those highlights from Lennon J.D. on NBC Sports Chicago. Welcome on in, Fred Hubner, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. We're talking Cub baseball, a 14-10 win yesterday over the Braves. A nine-run eighth inning. You go, oh, somebody must have hit like a big a jack, a grand slam, and all. Three hits, five walks, a wild pitch, an error, and two hit batters. Uh, weird, wet, and wild, <laughs> yes. Fred. It certainly was. It was like a Little League game. You know, right. people talk about Little League home runs when the guy hits like a double and the ball gets thrown into center field yeah. and he goes to third and it gets thrown into the dugout <laughs> and he scores. That keep was running, a, keep running, that, keep going. Right. That was a Little League game played under... Um, on a slip and slide. Yes, on a slip and slide. A Yikes. Little League game on a slip and slide. And uh, Sahadev Sharma of The Athletic was there to witness it. Sahadev, how are you today? Good morning. Uh, I'm doing well. Looks like I, I got more uh, more of the same coming my way as if they're actually going to play baseball in this weather. So maybe another crazy one headed our way. We'll see. Now, yesterday, I kind of thought that they were going to... Oh, my fault. Yesterday, I kind of thought that they were going to call the game early. Okay? I thought they were going to yeah. call the game off early in the morning so nobody had to go in and watch and sit through whatever. They didn't, and they eventually <laughs> played the game. Today's worse. I know they put a lineup out already. I know you're just getting there. Can you imagine them waiting till 120 to call this thing, or do you yeah, think they'll actually play? Yeah, I'd be surprised. This is worse, and then it's supposed to turn into snow. It's colder today. It's, I mean, this is 
maybe the wind isn't as much of a factor, but this is pretty ugly. I, I don't, I'm not sure what the point would be. I mean, Madden kind of said it. He didn't understand what the point was yesterday, forcing games in, in under those conditions. I know the schedule doesn't isn't perfect, and, and this is a team that doesn't come back to Chicago. I understand that that's you know that that's unfortunate. That it's not ideal. You have built in all these off extra off days, and to and to get them packed in with other games would be a little frustrating for everyone. But I mean, this is the type of weather that people can get hurt in. I, I mean, they can't play right now. That's for sure. The, the weather, if it's like this, no, you cannot play baseball. It, it's not even it's not, yesterday. At least you could justify because it, it wasn't a downpour. It was a mist, and the wind just and the wind and the uh, cold just made it weather uh, worse. But this is, I, I don't know how you play baseball. Jose Quintana gets knocked out in the third inning yesterday. He gave up seven earned runs. What did you see from Quintana, Zahadov? Yeah, uh, it, it seemed like he was nibbling. Uh, he wasn't getting close calls, but when you don't get close calls, you know, that, that happens that you have to find a way to work through it. Uh, so so he needed, he just he went over the plate too much when, when uh, he wasn't getting the close calls or he just was walking the ballpark. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It's not the Quintana that uh we've seen in the previous one and a half decade i, I don't uh, you know I, I can't say for sure if this is uh a, a, the start of a trend here i know two of the three starts have not been good is quintana lacking command is what's uh the weirdest thing the weirdest aspect of it all he's uh you know he's not a stuff guy so to, to suggest that he can just get by without uh without his best command is uh would be folly like you can't this is not a guy that that can survive with that great command. He just doesn't. It, it doesn't work. So he needs the command needs to be much better. It's kind of like it, it's, a, it's different than Hendricks, but it's similar in the sense that if you don't have the command, it, it's not going to be a pretty game. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we saw yesterday. And, and yeah, perhaps uh, you can point to the weather and, and struggles there. But uh, like Bryant said yesterday, everybody's playing in the same weather. And Katana was clearly disappointed in himself yesterday. He was happy with the win. Glad his teammates picked him up, but he was not happy with himself. So Quintana struggles yesterday. That could have been a weather thing, but Darvish has struggled. Hendricks struggled. When is it going to be this isn't just an early season struggle thing? When is it going to be concerning to look at this uh, Cubs starting staff? Yeah, I mean, you start to you start to watch it right now is the way I like to term it. Uh, you watch what's going on. Keep an eye on it. Uh, I'd say mid-May if it's consistently like this yeah you're, you're, you're concerned uh i i would say that with Hendricks, i you it hasn't been perfect but he's been able to get by and last start uh, he it was the, the you know the box score looked pretty good for him I, I know if you watched it it was a battle uh the fastball command wasn't there but he was able to use all his other pitches and and still get by so i think he feels good i, I mean i know he feels good about it because he knows his fastball command will come back uh, I trust him to, to actually, of all the guys in the rotation, I think he's the one that I'm most comfortable saying is going to have a very good season. Uh, you know, Lester shows flat, uh, showed flashes of what he could be in the second start. Uh, but, yeah, there's there's some valid reasons to wonder what's happening there. Darvish was a frustrating watch on Friday. I mean, you, see, you know the guys have so many pitches, uh, plus pitches, and he seemed like a guy – Working to uh, on a, in a side session, working to get feel for his slider, and I felt like he just kept going back to it, and, and he didn't have feel for it. But he just he was uh, a little stubborn with it, and, and and wouldn't go away from it. When you know, the throw the curveball every once in a while, throw the change. 
maybe he had no feel for that. Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm wrong there, and, and he just had no feel for any of his uh, off-speed stuff, breaking stuff. So he had to go with what what he felt was best. But it, it, he was a he was a fastball slider cutter guy uh, on Friday, and that's kind of what the Cubs are trying to get away from with him. Uh, so so we need to watch his pitch usage and his sequencing and all that stuff uh, going forward because if he's if he doesn't have feel for his slider, the whole point is this guy has a huge uh, you know arsenal. Uh, utilize it. Sahad of Sharma of the Athletic joining us on the Studio Hot Rods Hotline here on ESPN One Thousand. Let's stick with Darvish for a second because for the last week or so, Chris Black, uh, one of our hosts here, um, hi, yeah, has been talking about. <laughs> hey, Sahad has been talking about. Yeah, has been talking about something that you know maybe people didn't think about early, but. There's no toughness in Darvish. Oh, the Bach might have got him throwing him off, and then he threw a wild pitch. He doesn't <laughs> seem to be able to suck it up. I mean, and when the Cubs had guys like Arietta and Hendricks always doesn't seem to let anything bother him, and Lester will get aggravated and ticked off, but, you know, he's probably going to go out there and battle. I don't know that we've seen that from Darvish. Will we ever? Is he ever? Is he that kind of pitcher, or is that just not him? Uh, you know, in years past, you'd probably say that's not him. Uh, I think uh, some people believe that the experience the last year in the playoffs in the World Series uh, kind of brought that out. We'll, we'll bring that out of him, uh, that he ha- he's pitching with a chip on his shoulder and something to prove. Uh, yeah, have we seen it? It's not yet. I mean, let's, uh, let's look at it. It's three starts, uh, two of them bad. Uh, one, you're, you're mentioning where he did he get flustered by a box. Uh, if that's the case, uh, yeah, you don't want to see someone get flustered by one moment. Remember that first start, he was pitching in a really where the, the Cubs needed innings. They were desperate for innings, and he couldn't come through for them. So, it's yeah, it's frustrating, and you have to wonder, uh, does he have that ability to step up? But I don't like, you know, I want to give him another chance in the playoffs. Let's see this kid, if he can step up and, and get it done in the playoffs. Because uh, I think, you know, people are right when they say he should. He should have a chip on his shoulder after last uh, last World Series. He should feel like he has something, uh, you know, to prove and, and go out there with extra motivation and, and, and shut everyone up that's questioning his toughness, that's questioning his ability to step up in big moments. I, I mean, I'm, you, you have to feel that way. You have to feel like, uh, how dare you question me? I'm going to go out there and prove you wrong. Hi, Zahadov. Hey, how are you? Okay, uh, so Ian Happ went 0 for 4 yesterday. He's really struggled as of late. What does he need to do to get back on track? Yeah, I, I mean, you can say it's just as simple as <laughs> reduce the swing and miss. He's, a, a, you know, Joe said it early, he got pull happy, and it, and it led to some really bad habits. And it's just kind of, I think it's one of those snowball effect things where uh, you develop some bad habits, you try and correct them, but then the you know the results uh, continue to be poor, and and it kind of gets in your head. So you got to kind of reset. Uh, don't get down on yourself. Don't overthink it, and try and get back to the basics. Uh, a lot of, I mean, from both sides of the plate, he's did a lot of swing and miss. It seems like from the right side, they're pounding him up and in, and he's and he's you know swinging at those ball pitches and missing uh, down and in uh, from the left side, swinging a lot of swing and miss there. So it's a, you know they they know where to attack him, and he's taking the bait, and and he needs to. Uh, this is something I discussed with uh, assistant hitting coach Andy Haynes over the spring. They felt like he closed up his holes, that uh, you know he, he made some slight adjustments and and realized what pitches he could attack, what pitches to lay off, and and it seems like he's kind of almost taken a step back early on in the season. Obviously, you know 
Uh, we can talk about a small sample early in the season and all this stuff. You just don't want to see it progress any further. Uh, you know, think about Jason Hayward. How much of that is mental? How much of that is uh, you have the pressure uh, of, of a big contract and then all of a sudden you, you struggle early and it snowballs and, and you get in your own head and overthink every single thing at the plate and, and nothing goes right. And, that, and, and, you know, now we're talking two plus years of that. So you don't, you don't want this to extend too much further just because uh, the mental side of the game is something that's really hard to understand and, and put a finger on because, you know, there's no way to really know what's going on in that kid's head. Sahadev, yesterday the Cubs scored 14 runs, so if trends continue, if they get the game in today, they'll <laughs> score two runs or fewer. Sure. Why, why have they been so inconsistent? And this goes back to last year. Like, what is, what is with the feast or famine with this team? Yeah, they, I mean, it's a, you have to wonder is that who they are, and uh, Joe Mullen is adamant that that's not who they are. He believes that this team, uh, you know, are they young still? Yes. Uh, are they maturing still? Sure. But they need to take that next step in their development, and I believe, uh, you know, a lot of people on that staff believe, uh, what, what did Joe say the other day? He said, uh, when when a student is ready for a teacher, he will appear, and he kind of suggested that they're they're ready to learn, they're ready to make this take this next step, and Chili Davis is the right guy to guide them there. So I, I you know, two weeks, three weeks in, whatever we're in, it's it's too early to say that what Chili Davis is doing isn't working. But yeah, it's 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 very bothersome that it's the same trend as last year. The major issue with the offense last year was inconsistency. Yeah, they scored 822 runs, but a lot of those runs seemed to come in bunches, right? And and when it, it came to the big pitchers, the the big series, the offense was often a no show. So so you the same trend once again is rearing its ugly head. That that's frustrating to watch it, it, to for fans. Uh, I'm sure Joe. Joe says sometimes he thinks you know this is not my like this does not look like my team. If he ever gets any frustration watching it when it, when it doesn't look like the group he knows he has, uh, and he said no, I don't get frustrated because he knows it's going to turn around. He's confident, but I mean you know Joe, you know he's gonna he's gonna always look for the positive and believe something good will happen. So uh, it, they they believe that they're they're on the precipice of developing consistency and that it's something that will come and stay with this team. So uh, I I see certain players can do it. I mean, go look at Ben Zobris so far this year. Uh, Chris Bryant is the best player in the national, in, in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, it's the way he's played. Maybe maybe not Major League Baseball. There's that Mike Trout guy. Uh, but uh, he, he's just uh, he, he's playing great, and it's almost going unnoticed just because everyone, so many others are struggling. Uh, so, so there are guys that you can kind of point to and say that's that's how you go up there. Every at bat, you're down ten to two, and you still grind out a walk, uh, what seems like a meaningless walk, just because it doesn't matter what the score is, what to, what the weather is like. Uh, you have the same approach, and you go up there and get it done. And, and Bryant seems to, uh, uh, you know, epitomize that every single time he steps to the plate. Asahadev, we appreciate it as always. Hopefully, the Cubs do the right thing and call this game early, so you can spend some time at home with your uh, family. Thanks. Take care, guys. Hopefully we're not asking too long. Sounds great. See you later. Sound of Sharma of The Athletic. Nice enough to join us uh, here on ESPN 1000, where we have Chris Black, one of our hosts with us. (laughs) This host. (laughs)
<laughs> that was just funny. I, I, I just Zahad is the best because I remember sitting here producing Talking Baseball with you and Bruce. Yeah. And Zahadov and I would sit in there, and Zahadov would just be doing his own Talking Baseball show in the producer booth, just giving me all these baseball stats, and I'm like. Sodom. I'm trying to listen to Fred and Bruce. I yeah. mean, come on. He, well, he'd be he trying to like reason with callers. He'd be like, well, that's not <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. correct yeah, actually, if you look at the his, numbers. His, uh, Zahadab, just put them on the air. Actually, technically, his babip is uh, this. And it's like, Zahadab, what are you doing? Just yeah. put him on hold. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, no, he was, he's, uh, he's done well for himself, and it's uh, nice to see what he's doing following uh, the Northsiders. Uh, we come back. We'll talk a little bit. Uh, we, we had a caller that I mistakenly punched up when Zahadab came on. Uh, so if he wants to call us back, that that's fine. Otherwise, there were, there were 21,000 people in Bridgeview yesterday. We'll talk about that. And don't forget, top of the hour, basketball talk. Adam Amin will join us. He is doing the Cleveland game today, right? The yeah, Cleveland he's on Indiana the call Pacers on ESPN game. Radio, yep. And we have that game. And uh, then we will talk to Chris Herring of ESPN around 11 o'clock. So a lot of NBA talk as the playoffs get underway t- yesterday with four games. Four more today. We're talking about it right here on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Ah, the Cubs lineup is out. We'll give it to you quickly here. They're not going to play, but we'll give it to you anyway. Uh, oh, ben, there's a window, Fred. Ben Zobra is the right field. Tommy LaStella at third. That means Chris Bryant will be at first base. Uh, Anthony Rizzo expected back tomorrow when the Cardinals come to town. Kyle Schwarber in left field hitting fourth. Victor Caratini behind the plate. It'll be Javi Baez at second base. Edison Russell at shortstop. Anytime you'd like to start hitting him would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> uh, Jason Hayward in center field. And your pitcher is Tyler Chatwood, who also kind of struggled in his last outing. So we'll see how the pitching goes. Um, and as uh, Abdallah brought it up earlier, Lester, four runs in five innings. Darvish, four and four and two-thirds. Quintana, seven and two and a third. So the uh, starting rotation needs to get some things done. Yesterday, there were a ton of people out at uh, 71st in Harlem at Toyota Park. And uh, they packed in uh, Toyota Park as the Chicago Fire took on the L.A. Galaxy and Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Um now, 21,915, the most for a regular season game for the Chicago Fire. And I must say, probably a third of the people there were there probably for the first time. They wanted to see Zlatan. Of course. Okay. Well, he's, a, he's a superstar, yes. right? He's a mega star in the world of soccer. Yeah. So if you are an MLS fan, a fan of European soccer, you know who Zlatan is. Right. He's a one-name type of guy. And you got to come out and see him. And he made his uh, appearance to MLS known when he came in and put in a you know a volley from 40 yards out and then scored another goal and helped the Galaxy to a win in their first game. The Galaxy then lost their next game. And their third game, the third game for him was yesterday. He actually started, so it was interesting seeing him on one side and Bastian Schweinsteiger for the Chicago Fire on the other. And it looked like they were going to go to the break. Um, the first 45 minutes all knotted up, and the uh, side judge said uh, one minute of extra time, and that was not good. Ball being forced towards Zlatan, but the rebound lands at Ashley Cole, the cross towards Zlatan! Goal! For the LA Galaxy, who else? Chicago! Zlatan says hello! And it looked like the fire were going to be saved by the bell. But Zlatan didn't ring it yet. Zlatan has LA up 
Uh, highlights courtesy of Univision. Univision does the games uh, on Saturdays. They have the MLS package on Saturdays. And if you go to your SAP button, you get the game in English. Ah. And they have an announcer, two announcers that do the games in English. Now, that was either um, Andres Cantor's son or another guy um, whose name I can't remember right now. But it was on Univision. And, uh, yeah, Zlatan scores the goal. My nephew came down from the Wisconsin Dells because he's a huge Zlatan fan. He was sitting in the uh, south end zone right in front of where Zlatan scored. He was extremely happy. That's what you want to see. Like, you don't, like listen, 21,000 didn't go out to Bridgeview to see a, a draw. Well, no, and it would have been nice. I mean, the fire had chances at the end, so it would have been perfect for the fire if they would have got a point, scored a goal, yeah. uh, you know, got a win, and Zlatan scored. Then everybody could have left happy. But, Absolutely, but yeah. you got to see Zlatan Zlatan. Okay, so uh, Fred and myself were both Man U fans. How'd your team do yesterday? My team did fine. They won three one. What you talking about? Did you guys clinch a championship yesterday? Well, we're about to once uh, nah. Manchester United, nah. or we'll nah. just we'll just wait nah. till next week. Yeah, you just keep waiting it out. Wait, buddy. hold on. My question for you, Chris, is uh, Man City nonsense. How is not advancing in the Europa League treating you guys? All right, Fred, you can go to break. <laughs> we are going to break right now. Adam Amin joins us. We come back. We're talking NBA playoffs right here on ESPN One Thousand. Zlatan. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Playoffs, player, turn up, player, cinco, cuatro, tres, dos, uno. I just gotta let this run because I know Black and Abdallah are enjoying oh, every oh, minute yeah, of it. This is so much better than Jake Cole. You gotta turn it up now. This is this is the jam. In Cleveland right now, Adam Amin is dancing in his hotel room. There's no doubt. No doubt about it. We bring in from ESPN, Adam Amin. He will be on the call this afternoon for the Cavs as they open up their playoff series with the Indiana Pacers. Adam, sir, are you dancing? Did we get it right? I'm a little busy, guys. Can't talk. <laughs> let me, let me feel it. All right. Let me, I was just trying to feel it through. I was trying to feel that through. Uh, a lot of people around the NBA, Adam, are looking forward to what's going to happen with the Cavs and LeBron in these playoffs. I know we had uh, Jeff Van Gundy was on our station earlier uh, this week, and they were talking that you know it's not going to be easy with the Cavs and for LeBron with this cast of characters going into the, the postseason. What are your thoughts getting ready to enter first the first game of the series? You know, I would tend to agree with Jeff, and and I, I don't think anybody is uh, is going to be surprised in this series if, if Indiana pushes Cleveland uh, certainly more than they did last year. I mean, it was a four zero sweep last year. Indiana just did not have the firepower offensively. I mean, we saw it in Game Three last year. What was it? A twenty six point lead that Indiana blew because they couldn't get anything going offensively. They lacked consistency, and obviously, playoff LeBron's still pretty good. I, I in my heart of hearts, I still think Cleveland's going to win this series. But the, the big number that LeBron has next to his name is 21. That's 21 straight first-round victories. He hasn't lost a first-round game in six years. you got to go back to 2012 when the Knicks finally beat Miami in a series in the first round. That's the last time LeBron lost a game in the opening round. He's been used to dominating. I think I don't know if it's that bold of a prediction, but I think this is the series in the first round where LeBron's going to lose at least a game or two. Uh, I think Indiana is really good. Uh, they defend, and that's been a bugaboo for Cleveland most of the season. Their defensive struggles have been well-documented this year, second to last in the league behind Phoenix in defensive efficiency. So that, that speaks to a full body of work. I know it's a different roster, 
than what it was when these teams met four times. All four meetings between these two teams and Indiana won three of them came before the mass exodus in the second week of February at the trade deadline for Cleveland. So it's hard to garner anything from those games. I just think Indiana is really good. I think they're an improved team. Victor Oladipo might win most improved player, and frankly, he, he gets my vote for that. I think Sabonis is really good, and if Miles Turner gets out of this funk that he was in over the last 10 games of the regular season, I think Indiana is going to win at least one, maybe two in this series. LeBron James was fantastic this season, playing 82 games. The first time he's played that many games in a season since 08-09. Adam, how would you put LeBron's season, the regular season, into perspective within his career? We talked about this a little bit last year. He was 32 years old last year, and he was in his 14th season. And through those first three rounds, he was having, uh, and I would say more so the first two rounds for sure, and and he he had some really good moments in the conference finals. But I think we talked about this last year, how he was basically doing things that even MJ wasn't doing in his age 32 season. So to see the mileage that LeBron has put on his body at this point, and to still have him performing at arguably his best level. I mean, this is year 15. He put 18 triple-doubles on the board this year, and 10 of them came in the last two months of the season. So this is the uh, playoff LeBron that we're discussing and that we're kind of joking around about, but it's real. I mean, to put 10 triple-doubles together in a two-month stretch when you're 33 years old and everybody's saying you're playing too many minutes and uh, you know he's averaging 37, 38 minutes a night and he's still doing everything, the usage percentage is so high for LeBron James. This is one of the great seasons. I honestly, am, am, and I don't think this is hyperbole, I think this is one of the great seasons in NBA history for an individual. I know we can look at Westbrook, what he's done the last two years. I still think that's an incredible achievement. LeBron's not too far off from that pace, and he's still scoring 27 a game, and he's still shooting at a high clip from three. I think this is one of the great statistical seasons individually in NBA history. You mentioned playoff LeBron. The problem is with playoff LeBron, he had to appear halfway through the regular season this year. Are you worried as someone who's watched LeBron throughout his career and him, you know, take a lot of time off during the season? He played all 82 games. Is a concern for Cleveland that playoff LeBron might have had to come too early this year and that playoff LeBron might hit a wall uh, early in this playoff run? I think maybe earlier would be my concern. Uh, you know, he's, he's obviously run into a buzzsaw uh, two, of the, you know, two of the last three years and, and with the Golden State Warriors who have played much better defensively. I, I, we saw it yesterday against San Antonio. They were, they were really good, but I don't, you know, I'll agree with Jeff Van Gundy in that regard too. I don't want to regard too much from that performance because of what San Antonio is lacking. But LeBron has run into a good defensive team in the NBA Finals, and a couple times he's fallen short. I worry that because it's been an 82-game year, you know, we talked about this last week, guys, in studio, those extra six or seven games or eight games that he was taking off last year, I think he played 73, 74 games last year, that's basically a whole playoff series that we're, we're talking about right now. So I have a little bit of concern because he's had to do more and so much more than he's had to do in years past. He doesn't have Kyrie Irving, who was a great closer in the conference finals and in the NBA finals the last couple of years when they needed him to be. Kevin Love is the true second option now. So I think that's basically where the key is for this Cleveland team. If Kevin Love can supplement LeBron on a more consistent basis without having a cold start to the NBA playoffs like he did in the first round last year, then I think this is a a team that can kind of massage LeBron towards the conference finals and maybe even the NBA finals with with all the minutes that he's logged this season. Adam Amin from ESPN joining us here on ESPN 1000. Adam will be doing the game, the play-by-play this afternoon, the Cavs, 
and the Pacers. And Adam, would um, would LeBron and the Cavs losing to the Pacers be the worst thing for the NBA and the playoffs? Would Adam would Adam Silver actually come to tears if uh, if in fact the Cavs <laughs> go out in round number one? You know, in all honesty, I think it, I think it would be bad for the casual fan. For people like us who love this sport and love the matchups and love the chess matches and also feel like it could be fun to see Philadelphia and Toronto and, you know, maybe maybe Miami push Philadelphia a little bit or to see Indiana make a deep run again because this league was really fun in the 90s when Indiana was making the conference finals and, and, and even the NBA finals in 2000 when they were making those deep runs consistently. For us, it might be fun. But I do think the casual fan and a lot of us basketball nerds are gonna are gonna feel bad if LeBron's not there to try to keep cementing this legacy that he's creating. And, and I think the other thing too, the drama goes away if he loses in the first round. Right. I think it's so long Cleveland at that point, right? Because the things that he's talked about, you know, to to media about maybe opting out at the end of this year, he said winning and family are the two most important aspects of that. Well, if you're not winning, if you're not getting out of the first round. I just feel like that that's the a uh, kind of a thud at the end of what would have been a really good tenure in a second stint back in Cleveland. So I think it takes some of the drama out of it. Uh, for us, it might be fun. I think for Adam Silver and a lot of casual NBA fans and a lot of hardcore fans, too, it wouldn't be as fun. We mentioned uh, Kevin Love a couple minutes ago. Um, if you look at what the Cavs did at the trade deadline, how do you think Rodney Hood has fit in on this team? I think the fact that he's shooting as well as he is, He's playing big minutes, you know, too. That, that, that's the other thing. Like, I, I feel like Rodney Hood was such a great addition to the team because of what he brought to the table. A guy who can, A, spread the floor, most importantly, and he's having a career season shooting the three-pointer. A guy who can spread the floor and a guy who's going to give you effort on the defensive end. And I do think, despite all the deficiencies of Cleveland on the defensive end this year, when it comes to the playoffs, it's going to be a little bit different. And I think with Rodney Hood, with his experience with Utah last year, played an integral role in, in multiple games uh, in that first round against the Clippers. Uh, obviously didn't have as great of a go at it against the Warriors, but I think his addition is really key. Now, he can't shoot 26% like he did in the playoffs last year from three-point range. If he shoots 38 39%, 40% in these playoffs and helps LeBron handle what Victor Oladipo is going to do on the, on the defensive end of the floor, I think this is a huge, huge piece that could make a real impact in this series. The Brown, Brent Musburger, Adam Amin joining us on ESPN 1000. You can hear the Cavs and the Pacers right here later on today at 2 o'clock. As far as the Pacers' defense is concerned, they have uh, the best isolation defense in the league, and that's good for them because the Cavs run the second most isolation plays in the league. How do you see that defensive matchup shaking out? Yeah, it's uh, 18% of Cleveland's play, or actually, I beg your pardon, it's 18 ISO plays per game. That's the second most in the NBA. That's what Cleveland runs, and Indiana was really good in one-on-one defense. That's obviously very important, especially in the playoffs, because late clock situations, you're milking possessions, especially in the second half, and, and it's really important. Victor Oladipo, we've talked about him being the most improved player in the NBA. I think he should and, and likely will get the award to... Obviously, be a good defensive player in college is one thing. To translate that to the NBA in just a matter of three or four years, and I don't just mean be a good defender. I mean be an elite-level defender, and that's what Victor Oladipo has become. This is, this is where Indiana can win this series. 
it's going to be a lot of effort. And what taking so much effort on the defensive end does is that kills your legs on the offensive end of the floor. And I do think Indiana could have some problems in scoring if they're just taxed. But this is where Indiana can win this series. I really believe that. It's it's going to be as difficult of a thing as, as they've ever put together. It would have to be seven games probably where they are top to bottom one through five playing as good as they have all season long, and that's really difficult to do for long stretches of time against an ISO team like Cleveland because they're really good in ISO play with LeBron and then with Kevin Love in the post. This is really going to be crucial. Uh, Oladipo has been phenomenal. Miles Turner is a real rim protector, 118 blocks this year, top 10 in the NBA. This is a really solid defensive unit, and I think it's going to have to be if they want to win this series. Adam uh, will be on the call today, the Cavs and the Pacers, as they start their best-of-seven series. Adam, could you even dream of uh, calls in the upcoming couple of weeks as much fun and as uh, breathtaking as the ones you were uh, forced to make in the Women's Final Four? <laughs> I can only hope, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. It's uh, well, Once you see something like that, uh, everything else is like, well, this is, the rest of it's easy as long as you don't screw it up. But that's all uh, That's all we're trying to do, man. Just show up, see what happens, and try not to get in the way too much every time uh, something uh, crazy or, or incredible or, or unique happens. So that's what we're hoping for these next few weeks, man. I know I probably should have known this, but I just enjoyed the call so much. Why, what, why were they both on camera or, or on a phone? How did you guys do that? So we have this, uh, it's like it's like a GoPro, it's called a Marshall Cam, and uh-huh. it's a really tiny camera that's sitting on top of our uh, program monitor that we look at that uh, that has the, the same pictures that you're getting at home. And last year, when Morgan William of Mississippi State hit the game winner against UConn in the semifinals, the, the angle the, at the table with Dave O'Brien, Doris Burke, and Carol Lawson, that angle kind of went viral last year. So they're like, well, let's, let's put it back and see what happens. And they happen to have the, the views from, uh, from the announcer table. And I think uh, I just I pretty much embarrassed myself to the point where they felt that it was necessary to tweet those out. And I was happy to do that as well. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a weird guy, man. I just, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of wired. I'm, I'm kind of twitchy when I'm sitting at the table. It's hard not to when you get to do something like this, man. It's a great job. It's a great gig. And uh, it, it's hard not to get excited when, when you're doing stuff like that. No, they were classic. They it's were all about the pen flip. <laughs> After you nail oh, the call, that, yeah. you got you to flip the pen, the pen right? away. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the pen drop and the, and the push away. It's like, all right, I'm done. It was a very Costanza moment for me. I, I can only screw this up by talking more, so I'm just going to get out of the way. I mean, uh, from the action you saw yesterday, four games in the NBA, what caught your eye from the uh, first round of the playoffs starting yesterday? I was a little bit uh, a little bit surprised with Miami's lack of defensive prowess yesterday. And, and don't get me wrong, Philadelphia looked phenomenal shooting the basketball. Uh, when you make eighteen three pointers on twenty eight shots, it's it's hard to hard to keep a team down, obviously. But I was surprised that Miami, which has made its money on the defensive end of the floor this year more often than not, and that's the reason they were so good in tight games this season. Uh, that that's probably what surprised me the most. I'm not shocked with how Toronto pulled it out at the end. I think they, they made the defensive stops when they needed to. Um, I, I was a little surprised with Portland's lack of execution late. Uh, Damian Lillard did everything he possibly could, but kind of trying to draw a foul late in the game instead of uh, attacking a little bit more strongly that, you know, the way that we're used to seeing. Uh, I didn't mind him passing. He was setting his guys up for really good looks, but I prefer him over Evan Turner taking the big shots late in the game. And I think, uh, 
I'm not surprised by what Golden State did. Uh, I I, I, I feel bad because I love San Antonio. I love seeing what Popovich has done. The fact that they maintain their competitiveness every year and they've been so consistent. But I'm not shocked by what Golden State did. So I think Miami's lack of defensive prowess and some of the lack of execution by Portland down the stretch, those are the things that stuck out. Is there anything more lethal in the NBA than the Warriors with a chip on their shoulder? I... I think at the defensive end, and again, I don't want to put too much on that that one game because of what San Antonio lacks, but if they play like that defensively and guys like Quinn Cook are stepping up on the defensive end as well and and Durant looks like angry Durant uh, and they're running the floor and running off the deflections and steals like they had the last couple of years when they've been one of the better defensive teams in the NBA, uh, that's scary. That's a scary, scary thought. And I mean, I don't, not to project ahead too much, especially if, since we haven't played a game in that Houston-Minnesota series, but if it ends up being Houston-Golden State, that, that could be a series for the ages. I'm, I'm convinced of it. That could be a phenomenal series. Adam, we appreciate uh, you jumping on. We know you got a lot of prep work to do, and uh, I know you enjoy just talking to, to Black and Abdallah. That's, that's the only reason we got you on, right? Uh, you, you too, Hugh. Come on. <laughs> Where are you going for brunch? Yeah, well, what are we doing? Mimosas? Yeah. What do we got? We got tacos and takes here live on the air. What are we doing for food? I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just gonna get hammered before this game. Uh, I think that's the best way to go about it. If you, yep. uh, if actually, this is this is for you guys though. If you're ever in Cleveland and you want a good lunch spot, I know Abdallah will appreciate this. Meza, really good Mediterranean oh, food. Walk in, they got good hummus, really good pita bread, which is always the key. They make it in house, so Meza is a great spot. And then. uh I think post game, if I if I don't catch my flight, which it's looking more and more likely that some of these flights are going to get pushed back, uh, I might end up at Luca for uh, for dinner. That's uh, probably my favorite Italian spot here in Cleveland. There you go, awesome. There you go, Adam. We appreciate it. We'll be listening to the call later on today. Thanks. Sounds good, boys. Thank you. Adam Amino is nice with his time as he joins us for a couple of minutes getting ready for that Cavs and uh, Pacers series. Do you guys, do either of you guys think that there's even a possibility? Would you be shocked if the Pacers knocked out the Cavs? I would not. Uh, mm-hmm. and let me give you a stat to back this up. The Cavs are the first team in the last 11 years to rank in the bottom three in defensive efficiency and still make the playoffs. In the last 25 years since the playoffs went to a 16 team format, they're the highest seed to have ranked in the bottom three defensively. The other seven teams to make the playoffs while ranking in the bottom three were all seven or eight seeds, and they all lost in the first round. Hmm. So, yes, they have the best player yes, in do. the world on their team. They have LeBron James. But in this NBA, space and pace and, and all the three-point shots, one person cannot win a series mm-hmm. anymore. Because there's just too much movement, there's too much, uh, too many possessions going back and forth, too many opportunities to put up big points on the board, and that's what the Pacers, their eyes are lighting up. LeBron can't, will have to score, you know, like right. 40, yeah. 50. And like, so, yes, the Cavs are good, but the problem is, if he's going to do it all by himself, they might get through the first round. But I have a really hard time just assuming that LeBron, the Cavs are going to get to the finals just because of LeBron. Because, you know, everyone's thought process is, well, you know, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to pick the Cavs because right. I'm going to pick them because of LeBron until he doesn't. Yeah. Well, if you actually dive into the numbers and you watch the way they play, they're terrible defensively. And that's going to come back at some point. Well, you look at like the way the series works, LeBron is going to get his. Like that like like you said Chris, LeBron's going to get his. Someone else has to step up. Like you look at the 76ers yesterday. Yes, yeah, Simmons had a good game, but JJ Redick 
basically took over the second half of that game. Mm-hmm. So that game was time, close. Yeah. That game was close, and all yeah. of a sudden, I looked up, and all of a sudden, boom, boom. what happened? J.J. Redick was throwing up three goggles yeah. left and right yep. to, to start the second half, and he was great defensively as well as getting to the basket and shooting free throws. So someone else has to have a game like three out of seven games for the series for, for a team to move on. I don't know if LeBron in playing all 82 games, I know it's something he wanted to do and like he needed to for them to get to this point, but I'm not sure he's got it in him at 33 to do it for a full series and then do it for another full series because one game sure is, is fine. Like right. if these were one game one offs. That's fine. But what the Pacers do defensively, they'll find a way to, even if LeBron gets his, to take out the rest of the team. Well, let's let's get straight. You you said you're not sure if LeBron... LeBron will be able to do it, but the cast of characters around him, I don't think are good enough to allow him to do everything and to have this team advance to the finals. That's the problem this year. The second guy is so much lower on the totem pole now than what Kyrie was. Mm-hmm. And that team had major flaws last year. Okay, so you get into a tight spot. LeBron's doing it all. Who's going to step up? You really think Jordan Clarkson's going to be the difference? George Hill? Larry Nance Jr.? Like, I don't see the Jordan Clarkson game happening. Well, he might. And and, and always remember, bench players always play better at home. So if the Cavs come out in game one and are cooking and Clarkson's hitting threes and Hood's hitting threes and that's Mm -hmm. how it's working... Just remember, bench players always play better at home in the playoffs, but can they do that for seven games? Can they do that in Indiana? It, it, it'll be if interesting to If I had to, to pick a series to go seven games, this would be easily okay. my pick to go seven games. Yesterday, uh, the Golden State Warriors opened the playoffs. They'd lost six of ten coming in, and they beat San Antonio 113-92. Clay Thompson, 11 for 13 from the field for 27 points. Um Popovich, the coach of the uh, San Antonio Spurs, asked why they lost. What went wrong for you guys tonight? Uh, what went wrong for us? Yeah, this afternoon. Sorry, I lost my They game. played better than we did. He was then asked yep. more about the game. He started uh, Danny Green basically on Kevin. Did that work very well? Did you watch the game? Yes. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> didn't. It didn't work very well. So we'll, we'll have Danny grow four or five inches by Monday night. Uh, tell him to jump higher and move quicker. And we'll tell Kevin, don't be so good. Now, many people will play that cut. I know I saw it on NBC yesterday, and, mm-hmm. and I, I just played it to say, what a complete jerk. I'm sorry. Yeah. Popovich is a complete jerk. What you? If I had a chance to get Popovich on the air, I would welcome him in and say, uh, Greg Popovich, coach of the San Antonio Spurs, with us here on ESPN 1000. And I would not say a word. I would just sit there. And then there would be silence for 12 minutes, Fred, because he won't say anything either. Just a complete and utter jerk. My favorite part about what you just played, play the first one again that you yeah. played. What went wrong for you guys tonight? Uh, what went wrong for us? Yeah, this afternoon. Sorry, I lost my... They played better than we did. The, the guy who asked the question was so concerned that Pop yeah. was going to go after him for getting the time of day wrong. Right. Yeah. That like he had to be like, I, I'm in this afternoon. <laughs> not, not last night. Sorry, Pop. Like they're so they're so timid about asking, and the best is, I just imagine Michael Michael C. Wright, who used to be a Bears reporter here and then moved to San Antonio, yeah. and now covers the Spurs, just sitting back and just laughing at all these reporters trying to ask Pop questions because, like, you know, you're not getting anything no. from Pop after a loss uh-uh. like that. Well, what is he supposed to give you? It's all about the context of the moment because Popovich is well known as one of the best people in the NBA, not mm-hmm. because of the winning. 
but best humans, best people to be around, the reporters from all the stories you read. Uh-huh. When you talk to Popovich and it's not after a game or about the or game during, during game. the game, yeah. he is a fantastic person. But then you get into these situations where he has a role that he has to play because he is a bit part in the NBA and you have to do these press conferences, yet he doesn't want to do it. So instead of just going through the motions... He makes it difficult, which is yeah. just so mind-boggling because everyone says he's such a great guy. And he said it as he sat as he sat down. He started yeah. to say, "I hate these things," yeah. and well, you know, that's you know, part I mean, of the job. And, and like we get it. The end of quarter interview is stupid as no. well. It's the worst. They should, all, all sports should stop it. But, but like, you can give an answer without giving away your your secrets. Like, yeah. just give a respectable answer. Kerr that's all you have pretty, to do. Kerr is fun with them, too. Yeah, Kerr is good. Yeah. Brad Stevens is fine. Fred right. Hoiberg, fine. You know, they're all fine, but like, you don't have to be a jerk about it. No, and he is. We come back my MLB notebook. Oh, lots of stuff, including something from a former Cub player Ooh. that you guys may have forgotten we even was on the north side or was owned by the uh, Chicago Cubs. It's Black Abdallah Hubner here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's Baseball Notebook. Well, welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, me, Fred Huebner. We talk some baseball. We'll get back into some NBA with Chris Herring from ESPN at 11 o'clock as the playoffs continue. Don't forget we got the Pacers and the Cavs right here at uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon. Let's start off with the Cubs and Braves. They have wisely postponed today's game. It will be played Monday, May 14th at one twenty. Uh, they're postponing it for what they call inclement weather throughout the day. What they're calling inclement weather? Yeah. Look outside! Well, no, 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 but they're, they're saying it's not rained out, it's not colded out, it's for inclement weather. Can I also give you another Midwestern rain out? Yeah. Uh, Milwaukee, the Bucks have announced due to weather, we are canceling today's viewing party. Sorry for the inconvenience. You can watch the game today from the comfort of your own home. But they have a roof. Oh, they're going to do like an outdoor watch party, kind of like how yeah. Toronto does. We yeah. the North outside the stadium. Right. Even well, though the Cavs Bucks are on the too, road. They? Yeah, the Cavs do a lot the of teams yeah. do. A lot of teams do now. I mean, this Kansas weather. City's got one of the best watch parties. Like during the World Cup, Kansas City yeah. has this uh, power and light district. Mm-hmm. And they have this big, huge monster TV. And all these people just come in and they, all the bars and all the that Cavs stuff. The Cavs essentially and the Indians have the same thing. Uh, during the Cubs World like the World Series, when right. the Cubs were in Cleveland, like they did all that. They had big screens everywhere. You could stand outside and watch the whole thing. So. If, you, if you would have just said during the Cubs World Series, we would have known because it's not like we had to choose from no, which I, year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could have been talking about when they were here in oh, okay. Chicago. Yeah. All right, yeah. back to the notebook. Sorry, Fred. Uh, no, no, that's, that's quite all right. Um, today, April 15th, they always, always is celebrated um, Jackie Robinson Day. So neither Chicago team is playing. So, you know, they, they it'll be a question to see. They've got the uniforms, so maybe they will wear number 42 some other time. They did not mention that um, in the release of the postponement. The White Sox, they've been snowed out. They are headed to Oakland tomorrow. But uh, MLB.com put this together. Jackie Robinson's daily excellence forced everyone to change. Such an icon historically. And there goes a line drive to left field. Squad is after it. He leaps the over his head against the wall. 
Major League Baseball is taking the unprecedented step of retiring his uniform number. Number 42 belongs to Jackie Robinson for the agent. We're going to have to do this thing simply by the box score. And you've got to turn your cheek at every opportunity. That was something put together by MLB.com, Jackie Robinson Day. And uh, it is always celebrated throughout the day, um, April 15th, each and every season. And uh, today being April 15th. Um, with the rainouts today and yesterday, there were three games postponed. The White Sox and then there were two others, I think Detroit and somebody else. Uh, Jason Stark, who is now with The Athletic, tweeted out earlier today, everyone in this sport knows the solution is to shorten the season to 154 games or even 144 but then he went on and said the odds of that happening are about the same as anyone in my zip code seeing the sun today. <laughs> so, so yeah, and, and I know everybody, I know you guys are both big fans of shortening the season. I know Tom Waddle has mentioned, heck, Tom Waddle's mentioned making each game a seven-inning game. But um, that'll never happen either. I want 100 games. May you're to, you're out of here. You want a hundred game and every every May bleacher seat will be three hundred dollars. May to July. And your, play, your playoffs <laughs> are in August before football season starts. Oh, okay. So you don't like any any uh, nothing should overlap. Well, I mean, you can overlap a, like a week or two, but okay. I'm not. Look, if my team's not in the uh, MLB postseason, I'm watching an NFL game as opposed to a. a, a playoff game that my team's not in so. okay yesterday there was a home run hit um by arizona at least they thought there was a home run hit fly ball deep left center peterson backing up he's at the track he's at the wall and there it goes <laughs> devin morero wasn't sure he looked at all the umpires yeah that's gone and he almost passed slow-mo Avila at first base. Yeah, Brian Gorman had to signal safe. There was no passing of the runner. Everybody was watching that one get out of here. And Marrero takes it deep in Dodger Stadium at 6-1. to one. Dave Roberts checking in with Adrian Johnson. And they'll huddle up about the runners at first. Brian Gorman was definitive. They looked at him and he signaled safe, the crew chief. Uh, looks like the word is in from New York. And he is out. Boy, that's a tough way to lose your first D-back homer. Oh, that was really Arizona. D-back homer. Diamondbacks, yep. Yeah, and uh, Diamondbacks broadcasters, uh, you you recognize the voice of Bob Brenly talking about slow-mo Avila, uh, (laughs) who played for both the White Sox and the Cubs. Uh, Alex Avila was coming back to first base, and they actually, uh, Devin Marrero passed him just by a hair, but that was more than enough. So they gave Marrero, instead of a home run, instead of a three-run homer, he got a two-run single. And uh, he was then out after passing the other runner. You don't see that every day. Ridiculous. Another thing you don't see every day. Another thing you got. Do you guys remember the name Dan Vogelbach? Yeah. Oh yeah. Dan Vogelbach was a guy that the Cubs drafted, and a big guy looked like Kyle Schwarber. When you first got a chance to see him, though, bigger than any Kyle Schwarber I'd ever seen. Trade to the Mariners. Yes. Okay. And uh, he struggled last year to send him back down to the minors. Well, two nights ago, he hit his first home run. His first major league home run, trotting around the bases. Yesterday, he hit a home run. I don't have the sound for this, so we're not looking for it. Um, but he hit it 433 feet right over a sign in at Safeco Park that says, hit it here. 
He hit it just over that sign. Uh, he didn't hit the sign. I don't know if he would have got anything if he hit the sign. But Dan Vogelbach's on a tear. He's got two major league home runs now after Belton went out. Um, you remember a guy named Jake Ar- 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 Arietta? Jake Ari uh, One R, two T's? Or two, two R's, R's, one... Okay. Yeah. I just don't want to make... He's a hurler, right? Yeah, a pitcher? Yes, yes he is. Pitcher? From what He's I not understand. a belly itcher, from what I've heard. <laughs> he got his first win with really? Philadelphia yesterday. Six and two-thirds, three runs, two earned, seven hits. Uh, the Phillies have won five in a row. They're wow. eight and five. They've got a y- lot of young players. Uh, there are a lot of teams out there now whose a lot of young players are actually performing well. Like, you know, the Braves had a lot of young players, and they're performing well. And there are other the teams. Well, uh, Shohei Otani is 2-0 and on the mound. He pitches again today. He pitches every Sunday. That's what we're going to do. They're going to throw him on Sundays. Uh, he's 2-0 and with a 2.08. The Angels are 13-3 and off to their best start in franchise history. Mike Trout, a 437-foot home run yesterday. Four feet further than Vogelbach's homer. I saw on the Twitter that this will be Otani's first start in uh, sub 40 degree, 45 degree weather, something like yeah, that. Yeah, AccuWeather is saying that the temp will be 30 degrees to start the game for the Royals and the Angels in Kansas City at 115 start. If they even play that, it'll probably bad weather so there too. He's superhuman, so I'll get I, you no hitter. I mean, right now in baseball, he is must see. How many other guys can you say are absolute must see players in baseball? I heard a guy that I actually know uh, who works for the MLB Network on uh, on on Sirius, and he was saying, you know, at this point of the season, Shohei Otani is the MVP of the American League, and, <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, I'm yelling at the radio. I'm going, come on. Come on! You're two and a half weeks into the season. You're MVP. already picking an MVP? Well, yeah. what, what about his teammate with six home runs? I, I know. Does Mike Trout's six home runs not count right I, now? No, they don't. I guess right. not. Maybe not you should learn a, how to pitch. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's what you if you do. look at the uh, top ten leaders in total war right now, uh, coming in at number three behind Max Scherzer and Matt Chapman, Shohei Otani. Yeah. Pretty good. How many people, if you ask how many people out there who knew Matt Chapman, I mean, Abdallah has no idea who that is. He's a uh, let me <laughs> look at his face. He has no idea. <laughs> Matt Chapman say um, he's a national. No, okay. He's, he's a, a Blue Jay. He he actually faced Otani twice this year already. He's a Padre. No, okay. he's a, a Dodger. Right. He's, a, he's, right. an right. Fred, he's an Oakland A. I was getting there. I was well, in the area. Yeah, I know you get to all of the teams. Uh, the Red Sox are twelve and two. They are their best start. In their 118-year history, wow. 118 years, uh, the Mets are 11 and two. They're best in the National League. Pittsburgh's 10 and four. Arizona, uh, 11 and three. Houston's not doing too bad, and this guy uh, always steps up when needed. George Springer and Springer drives this one pretty deep to right center field. Mazzara is back at the wall. See you later. And Springer pitch for another one deep to right center field, all the way back. Good. You know, it's not easy if you're a play-by-play announcer to try to have a unique home run call. I mean, how many, you know, the one guy, the see you later was kind of lame, I thought. Yeah. The gone was good, but a lot of people use gone. I mean, if you were a baseball announcer, I know I'm just springing this on you, mm-hmm. but if you're a baseball announcer, and I've thought about this once in a while, how would you even describe it? Or would it just be feel based on what happened? Or would you have a standard call? I would have a standard call. Obviously, I've thought about this you, long what? and hard. What? <laughs> And as the three of us, our love for soccer, going to do a bit here. Our here love for soccer. My home run call will be home. Okay. All right. All 
unique. It no is one very else unique. Does it. yeah. it's, it's unique. You wasted right. all your breath on the home, and the run was a little yeah. short. Well, that's the point. I could either mm-hmm. I could switch it up. I could go long home, short run, or short home. No, you, long you, you run. had it right. You could go home. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you, you were right from the start. Yeah, you you could go home now. I got paid. I mean, I, you know, Bob Euchre's got you know Bob Euchre, Bob Euchre's got his, and Harry Carey had his, and Hawks got you know his, and uh, everybody. But it's tough to come up with one that's not used, that's unique. Yeah, you could just yell random stuff each time. Uh, yeah. There was that guy who was on the uh, the broadcaster for the Florida Panthers in yeah. hockey that would just yell movie quotes. Yeah, and you're right. After every single uh, goal, so you could you could yeah. do something like he that. Sounded, well, thinking, he sounded like a bad 90s sports talk radio Yeah, show. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking Matt Vaskersian does a pretty good job. I'll be interested to see if he pulls any of that out on his Sunday night baseball. Because okay. Vaskersian has a history of making wacky calls, and he's done that. And uh, maybe we can even find some of those before the show is over. Just don't take my uh, my. I, yeah, that's, that's copyright. Don't worry. He might uh, take it tonight. Frank, can I add something to your notebook? Yes, you can. So throughout the season, I always like to chart the best teams from who gets the ten wins, twenty wins, thirty wins, forty wins. It's just something to. I'm not a quote baseball guy. It's just something to keep my mind. I can't. So the first, the first people take, of these, record yeah, numbers? I can't. Okay. I can't take the. It's early. Don't look at stuff. Baseball's all about stats. You, you always have to look at the stats. Too, like well, a lot of times they talk first pitchers to yeah, ten wins, right. first pitcher to five wins. Yeah. So on Wednesday, we had two teams both get to ten wins and be the first two teams to ten wins this season. The L.A. Angels ten and three on Wednesday, and the Mets got to ten and one. On Wednesday, so those are the two first teams to get to ten wins this season in the baseball year. You know, the the, the Mets are a team, and I the the twenty fifteen Cubs realize this, and I think I say this almost every week uh, because they're playing so well. As long as their pitchers stay healthy, yeah. they'll be there all year long. Mm-hmm. And the Nationals have to worry about the Mets because um, the Nationals pitching staff is good, uh, very good. But then if you've got you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard and Harvey and Mats, and they're all pitching well and they're all healthy. And then you have Jay Bruce and you know, Todd Frazier hit two homers the other day. And then you also have uh, UN Cespedes. You can actually score runs. That that Mets-Nationals battle at the top of the East is going to be fun to watch all year long. I know it's early, guys, but right now the Cubs are four and a half games behind the New York Mets. Oh. Uh-oh. I mean, I mean, just it's early though. Don't it, it means nothing. And the Mets could probably go up to five games if they win today because the right. Cubs have been rained out. Well, it's early, guys. It does not matter. Yes. It is early. Yes, it's baseball, but it doesn't matter. I want to ask you guys about something that happened earlier this week. I didn't think I was going to ask this, but I because I know pretty much where you're gonna where you're coming from because you are younger dudes. Uh, so we'll talk about that. When we come back. It's it's the young dudes. It's. Uh, <laughs> It's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. I'm the old guy, Fred Huebner on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Huebner. We're going to talk a lot more NBA with Chris Herring from ESPN at 11. Don't forget, 2 o'clock today, Pacers-Cavs as that um, series gets underway today. And I know that... um, before we went to break, I teased something. We'll get to that. I just wanted to make sure I mentioned. I just want to go back and find it real quickly. Um, Darren Ravel posted, The NBA is on fire. Ratings for the four games on the opening Saturday yesterday were up 17% from last year, the highest opening Saturday in five years. So that does, does that not surprise you guys? 
It doesn't surprise me just because of the storylines coming into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. A lot of people at the start of the season said, oh, it's just the Cavs and the Warriors. They'll right. meet in, in the finals for the third straight year. Mm-hmm. Boring. That's not what the NBA is about. There are so many interesting, fun storylines and so many good, talented players spread across the league that you have basically a good storyline each series. So people are tuning in, and you see the numbers rise yesterday. Yesterday, you did not have LeBron James. Nope. You didn't have Steph Curry with the Warriors, even though they won big. Right. There was I an mean, early game, though. Yeah. Yeah, early, and especially on the West Coast. That was the a, noon, a noon tip yep. in Oakland. Uh, the 76ers are something in prime time that people are tuning in for because it's such an interesting storyline. The team that tanked, and now they are on the upswing, winning their first playoff game in, what, six years? Well, you look at the atmosphere in there yesterday. Once that third quarter st- started and they went on that run, the atmosphere in there was insane. And, like, you know, a lot of people before the playoffs started were like, oh, well, you know, these kids, they don't know. The fans aren't used to playoff games. It might not be the same. Listen, that's a playoff atmosphere in there. Like, yeah. it, it, it was crazy in there yesterday. That no, was nuts, and Reddick just kept throwing things in and, and uh, interesting. It was a fun game yeah, to watch. It was. I had, I had it on. I had some people over, and like I said, it was real close. And then next time I looked up, I go, oh, what I, what did I miss? And I went back, and it was, it was you know, Reddick and Bellinelli throwing in, uh, throwing in threes and, even when you get to the late game, Blazers and the Pelicans. Yeah, I couldn't stay up any longer. There, there's intrigue because, of course, Dame Lillard has a high Q rating. Yeah. But Anthony Davis, we have not seen him on the playoff stage nope. play well yet in his career, getting his first playoff victory. And many people want to put him in that top five category in the league. So you got stars all over the board, and then you have guys and storylines and, and back and forth with petty wars and all the de- – the NBA is definitely at the peak since Jordan. And really, the league is in its best spot I think it's ever been in, both financially, the attention they get from young people, the way they're covered in the media. Everything in the NBA could not be better right now. Okay, and speaking of petty, um, uh, I'll bring this up. Oh, by the way, Nico was 16 points yesterday Mm -hmm. in 39 minutes. uh, Doris Burke also talking about his great defensive effort yesterday. (laughs) Did you guys hear that? Doris Burke raving about his defensive effort with the Pelicans. I actually saw him play in the game, and he actually was working hard on defense, which surprised me. Uh, We don't have a lot of time here, but I know this isn't going to surprise you guys. Uh, The whole thing this week with Hurdle and Javi Baez and Joe Madden and all this stuff, I, I, I have to hand it to Nick Friedel. Friedel was on Sports Talk Live, and he mentioned as soon as he heard the comments, he knew, okay, this is going to be a three-day story now. You're going to have Javi come out and say something, and after that, it's going to be Joe. It's exactly what happened. The only mistake I thought that Clint Hurdle made is maybe you shouldn't talk about the other team. But if he was asked about the bat flip, I don't have a problem with bat flips on home runs. But I've never seen a bat flip this high as Javi Baez flipped that bat. That had to be about a 25-foot bat flip up in the air. Well, do you think anything about the bat flip from yesterday? Do you guys see what happened yesterday? No. He threw it to go. He was going to go to first after a walk, and he flipped it up in the air, and he actually flipped it too high up in the air. So it was going to come right back down on the catcher and the uh, the umpire. Yeah, I didn't see that. And so they had to, like, run out of the way. Yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Yeah, see, it's, it's not. I mean, and, you know. I saw that. I was like, Fred's going to freak well, out. Well, the about one this. thing that Clint Hurdle said, which was exactly right, and it would have killed the whole thing, is Hurdle said, 
he basically couched his whole comments by saying, but you know what? They've got guys over there that are going to explain it to him. Strope, which amazed me, that Pedro Strope is the guy that told him that he probably shouldn't do stuff like that. He he had talked to him. So the whole thing should have been over. But instead, well, Hurdle shouldn't have said anything. Hurdle said they got guys over there that will explain to him that it was wrong. Strope explained to him that it was wrong. And then Baez said it was wrong. So the whole there, you know, there were four days of, and now I'm continuing it of talk about something that should never even been. Oh discussed. yeah, but that's baseball, though, Fred. Well, you know what? They're looking for stories, and I guess there are so many people that said, "Hey, this makes baseball interesting." This and the two fights during the week that makes yeah, right. baseball interesting. Yeah, and cold weather. <laughs> well, does well, start in May. Shohei Otani will make baseball interesting today in Kansas City. See how he pitches in the cold. We come back. Oh, these guys are just, look at them. They're already beaming. Uh, more NBA talk. Chris Herring from ESPN.com will join us right here on ESPN 1000. Sup, basketball? This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Simmons guarded loosely by Olenek in the left corner. Ben Simmons driving. Simmons crosses him over and jams it. Get out of the way. Kelly Olenek swiping it air, and Simmons with a slam. Eight rebounds now for Rondo. The dribbles to the left elbow. Bombs from the rim. Alley dunk. Smash down with the right hand of Anthony Davis. Yes, indeed. Hide your wife, hide your kids. Woo! Yes, indeed. How you like me now? This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Uh, I'm glad we played those highlights from opening day of the NBA playoffs, which we just found out up 17% from last year. The best in five years for the opening day of the NBA playoffs. Fred Hubner along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. Because they mentioned the name Rajon Rondo, and this would just lead me back into my one thing. If, in fact, Rondo didn't get hurt last year, the Bulls would have beat the Celtics. No no response? Fred, well, <laughs> I know, Fred. It's, is it re- do we need to waste time on no, why no, no. that would but not happen? The only, the, only reason, <laughs> the, only, the only reason I bring it up, one, to be funny, but the other one is that Rondo yesterday, 17 assists, 8 rebounds, 6 points. Now, it does help when you're feeding the ball to a guy like Anthony Davis. And he has 35 points. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to find a big guy like that. And we find a guy that knows the NBA, senior NBA writer for ESPN. And 538, we welcome in Chris Herring. Chris, how are you today? I'm good, gentlemen. How are you? We're doing real well. What was the one or two things that uh, jumped out to you, maybe more, uh, in day one of the NBA playoffs? Um, you know, I, I had to make predictions over at ESPN. It was part of my work. Uh and I wish I had had the stones to go a little bit, be a little bit more bold with, with one of the things that I projected. Um, the Pelicans look like they could take down the Blazers. I mean, they dominated that game for, for much of the night. And Anthony Davis is just phenomenal. Um, and Drew Holiday is, is fantastic on the defensive end. And the other thing is that, uh, Philadelphia looks real when, when you look at them. I mean, they've longest winning streak in NBA history to start the playoffs. Uh, going into the playoffs and then, you know, playing a, a really, really good stout defense again without maybe their best player, probably their best player in Embiid, and Ben Simmons basically notching a triple double, then winning by almost thirty points, scoring one hundred thirty uh, in a game where you know it's a young team, and so uh, I think those are the two things that I kind of took most from yesterday. Were you surprised by how calm Ben Simmons looked in that game, especially in the second half, running the running the show? Yeah, I mean, he didn't he didn't look calm for those first five minutes or so, and you knew there was going to be a feeling out process to begin with. I mean, um, I think the, the smartest analysts in the game all kind of noted that Miami's had really good success this year, 
not only against Simmons at times, but LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, these players that aren't the greatest shooters and, and people that you would rather take your chances with them uh, by backing up a good six or seven feet um, because you've got strong enough defenders that can hold their own at that point, but you don't want to play up too close to them and let guys just kind of bulldoze you. And so that's what happened in those first few minutes. Uh, they were just laying all the way off of, of Simmons. But the thing is, even though he can't shoot and that he doesn't even want to shoot from outside of the free throw line, he's so tall that if you give him that much space to operate with, that he can see different angles that he wouldn't see if you were standing right up in front of his face. Um, and he just was torching them with, with pass after pass, back cuts, uh, side cuts, shuffle cuts, anything. And, and you know, that, what was it? Redick, uh, Bellinelli, um, Ilyasova, I think three or four of those guys combined for like 90 points by themselves. And, uh, I mean, so that won't happen probably again in the series. They caught fire in a ridiculous way. But, again, it was all about Joel Embiid playing, and he's probably going to be the best player in the series once he's healthy and up and running. And so this is just a scary Philadelphia team at this point. It looked like they were world beaters yesterday. Do you think Eric Spolstra can make the adjustments and win uh, maybe not game two, but maybe once the series gets back to Miami? I mean, maybe. I, you know, I don't think that, that either team is, is quite as good or as bad as what we saw yesterday. I do think Philly, you know, we, we don't know what their ceiling is yet. That's the scary thing about playing them. And obviously, like I said, they haven't lost in 17 games now, although much of that competition was against weaker, weaker teams, uh, only two playoff teams in that stretch. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought that the game would be tighter yesterday just because you figured there'd be some, some butterflies there. Uh, for Simmons, for some of these other guys that really haven't been to this stage before, Robert Covington, um, and the fact that they were able to kind of swing the game the way they did. I mean, they were down by almost 15, um, a quarter, a quarter and a half into that game, and then win by 30. I mean, that's just scary. Uh, you know, I, I, I tend to think that there might be some things that can be done, but, I mean, when you have the two best players in the series – um, and one of them hasn't even been there yet. So, you know, we'll see what kind of shape Embiid is in once he comes back. But I, I just tend to think that's a lot to overcome. You know, I think you can coach your way through having maybe the second and third best players of the series, not the best. But when you are down the two best players in the series, I don't, I don't know how that works. So I don't think they're going to – I went from thinking that maybe Miami had a chance and that this would go seven games to thinking now that, you know, once the Sixers get Embiid back, it could be pretty ugly. Chris Herring from ESPN and 538 joining us here on ESPN 1000 on the Studio Hot Rods Hotline. And Chris, um, lost six of ten coming into the playoffs, the Golden State Warriors. I know it's, I know a statement game might be too much of a sentence, but, uh, going on out and handling San Antonio easily 113-92. Did the Warriors need to go on out there and show everybody, including themselves, that they can go on out and do, get the job done? I, I mean, probably not. I, I, I think, the only way in which I saw, you know, the Spurs really having a chance in this series was one, if the Warriors were to continue playing really, really poorly, which if you were watching, I was with them for a few days during a recent road trip where they're in Phoenix and Utah. I mean, they, they, they don't care at that stage. They were locked into the two seed. They might have been locked into their playoff position longer than anybody outside of Houston um, as far as the playoff positioning was concerned. And so they, they really had nothing to play for. You know, uh, Draymond had an injury um, to, I think, his abdominal region. Clay Thompson had the fractured finger uh, on a shooting hand. 
Uh, Kevin Durant had the rib issues, and so they were all coming back and trying to get back into playing shape as well for a while there. Steph is obviously out um, for what will probably be a six-week absence. And so, I mean, they were just kind of rounding back into form anyway, just as a trio, let alone not having Steph. And so uh, they, they've accomplished too much to really be as worried about that as I think outsiders would be. And the, the Spurs, the only chance they had, I thought, without Steph there is maybe if Kawhi comes back. It actually reminds me a whole lot of the Derrick Rose situation we've seen here, uh, where that one year where he was out the whole season and then the Bulls cleared him, and kind of that nagging question, are the Bulls going to bring him back, which we knew they weren't. After you know, At that point, if you don't do it by the end of the regular season, you're not going to come back in the playoffs. Um, but short of that happening, and even if that were to happen now, I'm still not convinced that he'd be in good enough shape um, or you know, fresh enough to really um, – well-rounded enough to, to get back into the mix and to, to turn the tide in a series like this. The Warriors are just too strong. What do you think happens with Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs for the future? I don't know. I mean, it is a fascinating thing, and depending on who you talk to, um, you know, there are some people out there, and, and probably some people tied to the Spurs as well, but definitely around the league, that think that this is Kawhi's way of trying to maneuver elsewhere. Uh, that it's kind of a little bit of a darker sort of thing as opposed to, you know, just not trusting the leg to not wanting to, to get hurt at all because, you know, the concern that going to a team would become more difficult that way if that were to happen, then all of a sudden you can't, um, you know, force the Spurs hand to trade him somewhere. I mean, he's on the hook to get a lot of money this summer, but this is a weird sort of splintering. And, again, it, it really does have the same sort of underpinnings that the Bulls situation did where, um, you know, so at times there have been rumors of family being involved, uh, and we remember the whole Reggie Rose situation here. Um, but this idea that he's been cleared and almost, it's almost like someone saying they're not, they're too sick or they're, you know, they're too injured to perform, you know, a concert or something like that. And almost like their producers or their, you know, their financial team or what have you, like pushing them out in the middle of the stage and saying, no, you're fine, go ahead. And, and a spotlight being on them. You know, Kawhi has at least, you know, told them that he doesn't feel ready. He doesn't feel physically ready, which is a, a tough thing if a player, an all-star MVP caliber player, tells you, I don't feel ready to go. Um, it, it's a lot to kind of say, you know, well, we, we think you're ready to go. Just get out there. Um, and for all the, you know, the beating that Derek Rose took in Chicago, uh, the one thing that I will not really criticize him for, you know, the articulation of a lot of stuff was, was flimsy and clumsy. But, I mean, can we really look back on his injury history now and say that he didn't know what he was talking about with regards to his body? So these guys, I mean, they, they know their bodies pretty well for the most part. But, um, you know, the fact that the Spurs have kind of suggested over and over again that he's ready to play from everything they can tell, um, that fractures a relationship. And uh, we're not used to seeing that with the Spurs. I think it would be a bigger story if, if we stopped giving the Spurs the benefit of the doubt because they haven't really been here before. Moving on to today's games, the Pacers take on the Cavs today. Uh, you can hear that game right here on ESPN Radio at 2 o'clock. LeBron is 12 and 0 in first round series. Uh, do you think that the Pacers can test the Cavs and take it to seven games and even win the series? Yeah, I do. Honestly, I mean, I, I, I'd probably put it at 60, 40 that the Cavs win the series. Um, you know, regardless of how many games it takes them, but I could see it going seven. I, I don't, you know, I don't really know what to make of the Cavs yet. They, they played better. At the end of the season, um, they, you know, their offense came back around. They're getting weird contributions. Jose Calderon has become really important to that team all of a sudden. 
um, particularly when they play him with George Hill. And LeBron has been LeBron, and I think that's the big thing. Is if LeBron finds this new level that he seems to always find in the playoffs, um, which would be on top of what he's already been doing for the last month, two months anyway, uh, then maybe it's not as thinking it should be. I mean, the, the Pacers beat the Cavs three times this year. Um, the Pacers have been pretty solidly positioned as far as the playoff race for a while, whereas a lot of these other teams were kind of uh, fighting to get in, especially in the West. Uh, the Pacers have been this good all year, and Victor Oladipo has been good all year. And so uh, there's some things I'm curious about. You know, the, the Cavs are the worst defensive team to ever really be making a, what a lot of people consider to be a serious push to try to make the finals again. Um, in terms of their defense, they're 29th in the league out of 30, which you never had a team make the finals with the defense that poor. Um, and the Pacers have done pretty well against it. The Pacers challenge you in the sense that pretty much everybody on their team can shoot. Um, they don't have a whole lot of flash outside of Oladipo, but they've got pretty good fundamentals. They, they are decent enough on defense. And so I think they'll push them. Um, you know, I think that there was something to what they were doing during the regular season that the Pacers, that the Cavs never really figured out defensively. So I'm curious to see how these first two games go because I think the Pacers have a real shot to at least keep it close. And last year, it was a close series when they beat the Pacers. Um, it was a sweep, but it was the closest sweep, if you can really call it that, in NBA history. I think it was the four games were separated by something like nine or ten points throughout the four games. Chris Herring joining us from ESPN. Nice enough to join us here on Sunday morning on ESPN 1000. Uh, the Timberwolves have returned to the postseason for the first time since 0304. Will they play more than four games? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think so. I mean, maybe you know, maybe they work themselves back into shape as far as the playoffs go. But um, after 2004, but this, this is just a bad matchup for them. I actually think you know what I was saying before about the Spurs and you know and whether they could have made that a series with the Warriors. I think that the Timberwolves could have. I think that that would have been a better matchup. I think getting Butler back and the Warriors still trying to figure stuff out offensively without Steph Curry would have voted well for them there. But getting a matchup like the Rockets, um, you know, the Timberwolves take the fewest threes in the league. Um, the Rockets obviously take more than anybody by a mile, and half their shots are from the three-point line. Uh, and you look at the the you know, the regular season series between those two teams and the Rockets scored, I think, 130 points per 100 possessions against the Timberwolves this year, which is the most uh, any interconference matchup uh, during the season. That's the most that any team scored against anybody. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of one of those things that they can't slow them down defensively and can't stay with, it, with the way they stretch the floor and they're not going to play a style so, you know, three is bigger than two. And so if they're going to play a style where they're trying to beat them with two the whole series, I just don't trust it. You know, Thibodeau hasn't really gotten their defense in order yet. Um, that's the one thing he hasn't really been able to do. Uh, so I don't see it. I, I mean, maybe they can push it to five, but I don't even really know if that's pushing it when you're talking about a seven-game series. Um, but this just seems like one where the they're going to be happy to have made it. And, you know, they got their nice moment the other day where they clinched the playoff spot. But I don't see any way of them winning the series. Before the season, uh, I thought one of the fun up-and-coming teams that would take the next uh, jump to the next level would be the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Giannis has been outstanding this season, but at times the Bucks have not looked very good. Can they do anything in this first-round matchup against the Celtics? Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously not the second-seeded Celtics versus the seven-seed Bucks. I mean, you can look at it that way if you'd like, but the second-seed Celtics – you know, they've been down Gordon Hayward the whole season, 
but now Kyrie Irving not being there as well, um, I think that there was some jockeying going on there where basically teams were trying to fall into the seventh spot so that they would have kind of the wounded duck that they get to play as a two seed. Um, and so the Bucks ended up getting that seventh spot to, to take on the Celtics. And they're going to be vulnerable. I mean, Al Horford all of a sudden is the biggest star on that team. Um, and you've got a couple of young guys that are going to be called upon to do a lot more than what they normally would. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Terry Rozier all of a sudden at the point guard. Um, and so really when you look at that, at that point, it becomes way more strategic and less about, you know, what sorts of stuff that a certain player can create, like Kyrie Irving. Uh, and it becomes way more about Brad Stevens and whether he can kind of win a series, partly with his brain, because, you know, again, at this point, the Bucks have the best player in the series. They probably would have had that anyway. Um, but now it's more a question of whether they have maybe the best two, three players in the series. You know, I think Horford probably falls somewhere second or third. Um, but when you start talking about that sort of disparity again, uh, yes, the Celtics have home court advantage. Yes, they've got the better coach. Uh, I don't think there's any way that the Bucks bring their coach back, uh, their interim guy. But uh, you do start to wonder at what point does the talent disparity kind of become too great for Brad Stevens to kind of think of a way to win this series. My question to you is going to be what can Brad, Brad Stevens do to try to stop Giannis? I mean, it's, so he struggled a little bit more in the second half. He had about a six-week stretch there where – you know, he went from being a legitimate MVP candidate to probably falling more realistically down to fourth or fifth. And I think uh, part of that is that he's still trying to navigate um, what he's doing when he doesn't have the ball in his hands. They obviously went out and traded for Eric Bledsoe uh, during the middle of the season. And so that's part of it, um, is trying to, trying to be very aggressive with him, trapping him in certain spots, um, and trying to figure out which shooters you can kind of um, leave alone and just forcing the ball out of his hand because he's not, you know, he can beat you a little bit in terms of cutting to the basket, in terms of putbacks and stuff like that. But if you force the ball out of his hand far enough away from the basket, um, you know, there are certain guys that you'd be more comfortable trying to let beat you in this series than Giannis. You can't let Giannis just go off for 40, which he's obviously capable of doing. Um, but, you know, it's a question of who, who are you throwing at him and who are you leaving alone to do that? Because you're going to have to double from time to time. You're going to have to trap just to get the ball out of his hand. Chris, we really appreciate you jumping on. It's just the start of a long, long playoff series, a long, long playoff run, and it goes to what, the third week of June? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I know <laughs> I know my guys here, uh, Black and Abdallah, could, could not be happier. They just can't wait to leave here so they can go sit in front of their TV and watch <laughs> basketball all day long. We appreciate you jumping on in. Thanks a lot. No problem at all. Take care. Chris Herring from ESPN and 538. And, uh, yeah, this is – you look at it, and I think a lot of Bulls fans. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think Bulls fans would like to see the Timberwolves and Tibbs win a couple of games, or do you think they don't care? Because you've got a bunch of former Bulls there. Okay, besides Tibbs, I mean, you got Taj, who I think is going to play. Right? I think. I, mean, I think Bulls fans uh, probably would like to see them win a couple games. I think there are people who likes. To still root for Jimmy Butler, to root for Todd Gibson, even Derrick Rose, and Thibodeau too. So I, I yeah. can see that. It's like if you break up with a girl, you you hope she finds greener pastures, right? No, you don't. But if Not she really. breaks up with mm. you, no. If she breaks up with you, you're oh. like, no, get swept. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm. You're you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. If you break up with her, yeah, yeah. The Bulls traded Jimmy. He didn't leave. Right. 
Okay, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, win, but if, win, win a game against the Rockets, then eventually lose. Get a gentleman's sweep. It should at least be a gentleman's sweep as opposed to the regular sweep, right? No, no chance. And well, I'm, I'm sorry, I know what's a gentleman's sweep. Gentleman's sweep is when you let the other team win a game. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, when you get to five. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no chance, though, because the Rockets have the best offensive basketball. The Timberwolves, like Chris Herring was saying, their defense hasn't come together at all. Uh, Wiggins doesn't defend on the perimeter. Cat is down low. He's putting up stats, but he's not good defensively. This will be over quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, what you're going to see Friday in this series is James Harden at the top with the ball, one-on-one, yeah. pick and roll to death, and Thibodeau is going to stroke out or have a heart attack by the middle of the second quarter because their defense is just atrocious. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you when you saw Tibbs going there, and you saw Butler adding on with with Wiggins, and you and I talked about it a little bit on Friday night with uh, with Wiggins and with Towns. Didn't you expect more? Didn't you expect these? There there were two guys that were very good offensive players that would actually try to play defense under Thibodeau. Carl Anthony Towns, yes, you would think that Wiggins, because of his athletic ability on the perimeter, would be able to play good man on man defense. Yeah, I, I mean, when it comes to a guy like Wiggins, a lot of that is just heart. And wanting to do so. Like Jimmy Butler coming into the league was not someone that no. was special. Heck no. He, he made willed, himself. He willed himself yeah. to that point. He he is made differently mentally than others in the league, and that's why he's at the spot he's at. Yeah, no, incredible save in this man U game that we're watching oh, in the studio. I mean, trying to get on the board, but West Brom get in the way. <laughs> I mean, this nonsense. Okay, um, I'm telling man, uh, man City sucks. Uh, oh, yeah? So, How's Westbrook? You you going to draw with Westbrook? Yeah, no one cares. No, All right, back, cool. back to the basketball conversation. <laughs> um, so you, you see Thibodeau go there, and you see the defense struggle so much, and it's you kind of have to wonder, have players now just completely tuned out Thibodeau when it comes to the attention to detail defensively because of the rap that he got with the Bulls and the and what happened with Jimmy? Yeah. And, and whether or not you you th- agree or disagree with it, the narrative out there of Thibodeau wearing down players over the course of the season, that's out there. And players know right. that it that's a thing, there. that right. he's annoying when it comes to being on you every single day, being relentless, screaming in December at the end of games at you to get a rebound, this, that, and the other. I mean, your original question, does any of this surprise us? I, they were third in the West until Butler got hurt. So if Butler was stayed healthy, this would be a different conversation as okay. we head into mm-hmm. the playoffs because they wouldn't be the eighth seed scraping in. They right. would be the third seed hosting a playoff series at home, and we'd be talking about, all right, this team took the jump to the next level because Butler carried them there. Well, and seeds three through eight are almost interchangeable in this yeah. because, like, last week we were sitting here, or two weeks ago, and none of it. It was all up for grabs. There were, like, two and a half games between yeah, those Yeah, it's a two-game two difference between the Blazers yeah. at three and the Timberwolves at eight. Yeah. And, but, like, when, when Butler went down, they were hands down the third-best team in the Western Conference. And then they had a battle to even make it on the final day of the right. season. So. I'll say this in my best Nick Friedel cadence here. You have to wonder if the players are thinking, if Thibodeau's going to keep me out there for 44 minutes, I'm only playing on one end of the floor. Okay, now can you do it in Nick's voice? <laughs> you have to wonder, guys, <laughs> if the players know that Tom Thibodeau is going to keep them out there for 44 minutes every night. 
They're only going to try on one end of the floor. That's, <laughs> that's the big question. And he's in Boston today watching the Celtics and the Bucks. You know, if Nick heard that right now, he would call you a bad mood Bobby. I'm not bad mood Bobby. That's how he talks. <laughs> you're, being a, you're being a Rob Cobb. That's, that's what he would how say. he talks. Uh, <laughs> Invitation is the best form of flattery, my friend. The uh, NFL <laughs> draft is less than two weeks away. We come back. We'll talk oh, about good. what the Bears did this week. We know what Matt Nagy did yesterday. He's saying the seventh inning stretch. And the Cubs came back and won. In case you're just tuning there's... in uh, and you're on your way to the Cub game, don't turn around, go home. There's there's <laughs> no there's no Cub game today. You'll be really early for the uh, matchup tomorrow night with the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. Fred Hubner, along with Chris Black, Adam Abdallah here on ESPN 1000. You're a Bobby. Bobby. See Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Oh, we almost returned with a Lukaku header for a goal, but we don't. Uh, it's Black Abdallah Hubner, and uh, we are going to have four minutes of of uh, hard-hitting Bears conversation. And then we'll have your Man U post-game show right here on ESPN <laughs> 1000 as uh, we go over the debacle in Manchester. So... Uh, I was a big fan, and you guys probably know this. I did some shows with Cameron Meredith. I thought the bear, I thought Cameron Meredith it was going to come back to the Bears, be a guy to fit in with this Matt Nagy offense. And apparently, the Bears figured his knee is worse than they think, and uh, he's not going to be coming back. And uh, it, that was a little aggravating to me because I thought that he'd fit in perfect as the number two guy. Um, you know, you have Allen Robinson on one side, you have Taylor Gabriel as a slot receiver, you have Cameron Meredith as a receiver, you go on out, get another guy if you want to, that's fine. But, uh, out now, do you guys think this means that they have to draft, um, high a wide receiver? Not number one, but I mean second round or fourth round or, yeah, I think, well, by I think fourth round they have this- to, but. This move, it is pretty uh, obvious that the Bears will take a wide receiver with either the second or the fourth rounder they have because you need to continue to upgrade the wide receiver position. You yeah. have not done enough to get this on par with some of the best offenses in the rest of football. Which is a problem because now let's say if all of the mock drafts are true and they end up taking Quinn Nelson with their eighth overall pick, uh, that means you're going offensive line in the first round. You're going wide receiver in the second round. And then where's your defensive playmaker coming in the fourth round? That's not good. No. You know, uh, Chris Mortensen was on with Waddle and Sylvie uh, earlier this week. And he said something. He said the Bears would be fascinating to watch. And I wasn't sure where he was going when he first said it. Give it a listen, and we can discuss it when he's done. I think the Bears are going to be one of the most fascinating teams to watch from this standpoint. I believe sometime in the next, starting now, in the next five, ten years, because of the type of quarterbacks we're getting from college and the type of offensive linemen, et cetera, et cetera, that you are going to see the Bears become, I think, a lab experiment of sorts. And I think Pace was really smart to say, okay, I am married to this quarterback, Trubisky, and I am bringing in Matt Nagy, who put in all the college concepts for Andy Reid in Kansas City, and he's hiring Mark Helfrich, who comes from the college game, under Chip Kelly. And we're going to run more of what Trubisky is used to. That's my, that's my interpretation. And he goes out and gets some receivers. Like, you know, that's where Gabriel makes sense. Uh, and, of course, Allen Robinson would make sense for anybody. Now, that was Chris Mortensen the other day. And I, I quote this, like, every year. For the last 
decade, people are, are were telling me, you know, the NFL's finally, slowly but surely going to come and pick up all the offenses that college football runs. And people have told me, you can't, the defenses are too fast, it's not going to work, this, 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 and this. Chris Mortens says he thinks it's eventually going to happen because of the quarterbacks that are coming up through the ranks in college football. And I think you also saw maybe a little bit of it when you saw the guy down in Houston last year. You see all the running quarterbacks that can actually do things. I don't know what the, the kid from Louisville is going to do, Jackson, uh, if he's going to do anything. But do you guys actually, you're big college guys, do you think we're going to see more college offenses? I know he mentions Helfrich Morgan coming here and putting plays in for Matt Nagy, who made the Kansas City uh, Chiefs offense a fun one to watch. What do you guys think is the future of the offenses in the NFL? Is it really college offenses or is it just smart football? Because what you boil down with the uh, read option is basically it's just a numbers game. The quarterback reads where the defensive end goes. If he goes in or out, based on that, he will decide whether to keep the ball or to give it to the running back or even throw it throw to it, a right. tight end who slips out sure. after the defensive yeah. end has made his his decision and commitment. Yeah, just so you know, I mean, like you said, read option doesn't always mean that the quarterback's going to keep the ball. Right. It just means he's not going to hand off. Right. And and so that's something that college teams have uh, showcased for many years now. Yeah. And I think NFL teams incorporating that are just doing the smart thing. Because think about the West Coast offense and what that was about in the NFL. It Calling offense against defense is all about trying to manipulate the numbers you see in the box. Yeah. And that's just one extra wrinkle that the college game has almost perfected based on if you run the read option, your wide receivers don't have to run as many routes because they're basically just standing in place and then coming back to that same spot and then also incorporating the no huddle into that. I, I think it's awesome, and I think it will be something that will work out, especially because Trubisky – Seems like he's the type of guy who's built for this type of offense. I think it'll work in the NFL for a little bit, like for a little bit. Like you'll have the offense will get ahead of the defense because the defense always then has to react. Like remember, remember like the half a year the Wildcat was a thing? Yeah. Like that was a thing that came from colleges and defense was like, whoa, what is this? The quarterback's going to run right away or yeah. we're going to give the ball to the running back? What is this? And then they, they figured it out because the NFL is the best of from college so the athletes just adapt and defensive coordinators adapt to the scheme so it, it it'll be interesting to see what the bears do as far as working with trubisky's strength as as opposed to trying to limit him which is seemed like the offenses were doing last year chris i'll give you an opportunity to say congratulations if you'd like high five chris uh, breaking news manchester city wins their third premier league title since 2012 after man u Turns in a trash effort against West Brom at home at the Dream Theater. He's Chris Black, Adam Abdallah, Fred Hubner. Thanks to Sahad Sharma for joining us. He gets to rest and enjoy the time with his family today. No Cub baseball. Adam Amin, Chris Herring. Uh, we got Pacers and Cavs at 2 o'clock. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for all your help. And thanks for listening on ESPN 1000. Manchester's blue.